Welcome to the Plastic Pleasing Store Podcast. We are your hosts, Trey the Explainer. And me, Miles Grab. A podcast about the natural world. Things that people claim are part of the natural world. And things that used to be. All right. Hello there, guys, and welcome to episode five of the Plastic Plesiosaur podcast. Uh, this time, we did not have stories uh, because we had our big interview with the, one of the creators of Monster Quest, uh, Doug Hijik. Did I say that correctly, Hijik? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we, we were just uh, last time when we interviewed Jeff Meldrum, the captain of Bigfoot. Um, it was like a two and a half hour long episode. And I know you guys want to listen to us, right? Obviously you do. But you don't want to listen to us all day. Yeah. You know, you got to do the dishes or read a book or whatever. So we're going to shorten it down. We're going to cut out the science stories for this one, get right into the interview, and then do the monster quest at the end. Yeah. So hope you enjoy the interview. And now it's time for another Plastic Sore podcast interview. Okay, we are here with Doug Hijek, who is the creator of Monster Quest, which is the show that we talk about nonstop. <laughs> so we are really excited to have him on here. Uh, he's been a researcher in the paranormal and um, non-paranormal scientific things for quite a while, and I'm sure he has a lot of awesome stuff to tell us. Why don't you j- introduce yourself a bit here, Doug? Hey, um, gosh, I've been um, producing TV for... I think 35 years now. So it's been a long time. Um, Started out as a wildlife producer and uh, just doing wildlife shows, doing wildlife research, you know, pretty mainstream stuff. Shows like Call of the Wild and, you know, different outdoor magazine type shows. You worked with bears a lot, right? Yeah, worked with uh, black bears. God, I was building, I built a camera system for Discovery Channel to go at the bottom of of, uh, Lake Superior. Yeah, we saw that. That was really impressive. So just normal, you know, everyday stuff. I put a camera over a, you know, three-year study on beavers and muskrats um, and discovered the first uh, cohabitating mammals. Oh, yeah. Um, Just, I just had a paper published last July on my uh, black bear research. Which oh, that's is, very cool. You know, so first scientific pa- paper. So I started out as just being really curious about wildlife. Yeah. And later on, because of an experience I had up in the Arctic, hmm. um, seeing footprints, I turned all of my attention, I wouldn't say all of it, but a good portion of it, to solving the Bigfoot mystery. And ended up then switching my efforts to doing, you know, crypto type TV shows. Mainly interested, again, in the Bigfoot mystery because of my own personal experience. But then, um, you know, went on to do, um, you know, Legend Meets Science, which Jeff turned into a book. Jeff Meldrum turned into a book. Yeah, we had him on just a couple episodes ago. Oh, great. We talked to him for like four hours. (laughs) And then, you know, and then I went on to do Mysterious Encounters uh, TV series, which was my first crypto TV series. Um, And then I think I did Giganto, the real King Kong, and then Monster Quest. Awesome. Awesome, um, yeah. So that's kind of been the the career. And in between them, many documentaries on animals. 
When did you first uh, get interested in cryptids? I know for me, I, I would go to the library. I grew up in a small town in Northern California, and we'd have these kind of picture books, you know, that would have like the Surgeon General's photo and everything, Loch Ness Monster and like UFOs and everything. And it was just like kind of just sparked my curiosity and really made me like want to know everything about them. Um, so that was kind of the start for me. Like, how, what was your journey into this kind of world? Well, uh, obviously, too, at a, you know, at a young, young yeah. age, um, I remember probably when it really hit me was being in the school library, probably, you know, I what would have been in fourth grade, um, and seeing the Roger Patterson, uh, Bob Gimlin creature mm-hmm. on the cover mm-hmm. of Boy's Life magazine, blown up, yeah, still blown up. And I remember looking at that and seeing the headline. And thinking immediately, God, that looks real. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what did it for me. I think I, that's where my interest, you know. So at that point, I started paying attention. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so so we are, you know, we are uh, skeptics of cryptics ourselves, but yep. we love them a lot. Um, like, so to us, you know, like the curiosity of these things and wanting to find out what's in the woods or the water or the skies, whatever, like is a really big driving thing. Like, I think we also think it's kind of a romantic idea that there's these awesome animals that we can discover. So like, we're really on board the same with you there. I think kind of where we differ is like, we don't, I don't think we believe any of the cryptids are likely to be true, but we do really like what you have done and Mm -hmm. people who try to put more of a scientific approach to finding these things. Um, One, because we just think it's fun. But also because, you know, we, you can find things. And I think that uh, we've been watching through an episode of Monster Quest, each uh, episode of our podcast and talking about it at the end. I think Trey and I both agree that the um, the giant squid Sea of Cortez episode was really fantastic because, like, you actually found new footage. And I don't know if that's the episode you're most proud of, but I know it's the one that we've enjoyed the most so far. Yeah. Yeah, I'm certainly, you know, depending on who I'm talking to. Um <laughs> You know, if I'm trying to sell myself to, um, you know, some mainstream scientist, I'm probably not going to mention Bigfoot. Yeah. I <laughs> so I may I may mention my, my work with bears, my work with squid. Mm. But it it is kind of cool having your feet in both worlds because yeah. I'm also a skeptic. Um, I go to great lengths being a skeptic, actually. In fact... I just debunked a piece of footage that I just spent three thousand dollars of my own money to do it. Darn! Um, Can you tell us about that? Well, sure, I, I, a little bit. Although, if you I, want to save the big reveal for later, I get it. But if you, no, but I'm under contract. Um, I understand, and that's I haven't been released yet. Yeah, but I did spend my own money. Um, I had the footage so enhanced with the new methods, and clearly, I could see it wasn't a big fight. And, you know, and of course, you know, you got to just call it like you see it. And so not only did I debunk the footage, but ended up debunking myself right out of a job. Oh, Oh, shoot. (laughs) But but that's, you know, I'm just um, certainly after the truth. And to me, that's what's important, because if you really truly are just curious, you know, like you guys are, you got to get after the truth. And so if you guys are on a... On a, in a remote area, and you yourself run into footprints, then you know there's nobody around for 500 miles. You're going to work hard to try to debunk those footprints. Right. And if you can't, all you're going to do is at least leave with even more curiosity. Yeah. 
And that's what I, that's what I left with. That's what I always leave my research with. I've never been a hundred percent convinced, even though I've had two sightings, but I didn't see the face and you can still never rule out that somehow I wasn't hoaxed. Sure. So there's still that doubt, you know, I mean, we're all, I think, well, for me, I'm my biggest enemy. Yeah. That's (laughs) one thing. um, I feel that too. That's one thing a a skeptic will say a lot is, you know, like the human brain is such a pattern recognition device. It's like so tuned to see things that aren't there, you know, like some of us, some of us far more than others. Yeah, Mm. definitely. And especially because like, you know, and, and sometimes in history, cryptid sightings weren't natural animals. They were demons, right? Right. or some kind of spirits and then you have you know like post darwin more natural world like cryptids start becoming more natural in origin because that's the kind of you know the the theme of the times so like but but you do again have um paranormal bigfoot explanations as well you know of course like uh i, I myself am a materialist and i believe trey is too i i don't know right. um where you fall on non-materials explanations. Well, I, I, it's very simple. Why take two mysteries and try to combine them to solve one? That's a really good point. It's <laughs> a really smart point right there. I like that. Yeah. So are you, uh, for like the Bigfoot um, phenomenon, are you, like, I personally think it's a cultural phenomenon, not a biological one. Although I, I'm disappointed in that. I, I would absolutely love there to be a Bigfoot. Um, you know, we talked to, like said, Jeff Meldrum for about four hours about this. Um but I, you believe, of course, it's a biological phenomenon. Well, I believe there's a, certainly a good chance. Yeah, mm. I think he said like eighty percent. Like I, I'm in the approaching zero, unfortunately, percent chance. I, I don't like saying that. Like I said, I want it to be true. But are you up in the eighties like him? Or I think if I spent a week with you, I think I could yeah. get you into the twenties. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh, well, nice. Hey. Well, that'd be I'd, that'd be interesting. I, you, always, <laughs> you guys always have an open invite. Um, be very willing to do that. One of the most really enjoyable things to do is to meet with what I call open-minded skeptics like mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. who are at least really curious and just exploring and debating all of the possibilities, all of the things, and try to have them show me their side and my and, and yeah. be willing to listen to my side because I don't know I. Look, guys, I have no more answers now about the Bigfoot mystery than I did, you know, back in, you know, 91 when I saw my footprints. Yeah. I have no more answers, even though I've had more experiences. There probably isn't one that I couldn't even debunk myself by saying, well, there's that chance. Mm. There's a chance. And if there is a chance, it's not 100%. And then it could be. You know, if there's even a one percent chance it's not real, um, to me that just kind of null and voids the whole thing. And so you got to just keep looking. But obviously, I have a feeling you guys are a little over zero, <laughs> or you wouldn't yeah. like talking about it as much. Well, me- so here's the thing: I, growing up, of course, you know that number was much higher on my end, right? Um, and and I live in Northern California now I live in Seattle, so I'm in the Pacific Northwest, you know, I've been a hunter, um, I've been out in the woods. And so obviously when I see the tree line and I see the forest, like I, I will imagine it, I will wish it's there. You know, the idea is very alluring to me and at a time I believed it, but I just think that, um, I think that the cultural explanation just kind of fits the data better. Cause like, in my opinion, we just like have a, a series of, 
um, narrowing down this meme of what Bigfoot looks like and the way it acts. And then the sightings start to follow that pattern more and all the things you'd expect from like a biologist that you would expect to see. You don't see, you know, you don't have the fossil record right in North America. We don't have like, we have sightings in places where I, I think they would only be in the Pacific Northwest, you know, and, and upward. Like when you start getting them in Florida or you know, Tennessee the East Coast, or Texas, it, Tennessee and Texas, it, it, that to me is more evidence in the um, cultural phenomenon, the biological phenomenon, because, you know, megafauna are shrinking, yeah. you know, they're not growing. Right. Like we're, we're losing large animals, especially like um, animals like this. So I just I just feel like as years go by, it gets less likely. Like, I think it'd been more likely they existed in the 50s and gone extinct than that they would continue to exist. So. Well, here here's the problem. So my biggest argument against <clears throat> the entire mystery are game trail cameras. That's my yeah. biggest argument against it. And you use a lot of those in Monster Quest. Oh, God. But, the, yeah. but it's the millions that are out there right now in the forest. Yeah. They don't ever get a photo. I've never seen we one. We just watched um, this episode. When when you get off of this, we're watching the uh, Turner Beast episode, the mutant sure. dog one. Yep. And so, yeah, so like you got a good, cool bald ego fo- photo on that one, you know, but yeah, but, but no dog monster, sadly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I know that that's how they discovered um, in uh, Vietnam in like the forest. They were looking for a long time for the uh, Sinyala or Sinyala. Yep. It's like yep. this small little forest deer. Yep. And they finally got it in a in a trail cam. Yeah. Uh, but they knew about it beforehand from like horns and sort of skeletal fe- specimens that uh, hunters had gotten. I mean, um, there, there's numbers. So my once again, my biggest argument against the existence. It's trail cameras because there are literally, yeah. God, you know, I'd be crazy if I knew the exact number, but <laughs> I would guess a million game trail cameras well, are in the forest right now taking photos. Would you guys agree yeah. with that? I, would I mean, I don't know the number, but yeah, there's a lot and there's, you know, drones and satellites too, yep. you know. Yep. So. And so that's my biggest argument against it. Mm. But then again, I think, well, what are the arguments for it in the game trail? You know, is it possible they view those strapped on cameras as, you know, uh, uh, territory markers of, of humans and they just steer clear of them? You know, do they spot them? All these things. We don't really know all the answers yet until a lot of people, maybe um, at least 50 people that I'm aware of start putting tiny hidden cameras in the forest and in active areas where the least conditions are right, where you have woods, water, and hills. Um, then I would, you know, it's like I keep the window open. In other words, yeah, close the door. Yeah, we would definitely, I would say, not close the door. Like, like we could tell you what would convince us probably of any of these cryptids, you know, like if you have a, you got a tooth, you got a bone, yeah. you, got a body you know, like, yeah, a body. I mean, I, you you might get me up to 2% if you had a really compelling video. I mean, video is kind of always difficult nowadays, you know, because how good people are faking it. But um, I mean, like we I would respond to evidence, I believe, you know, if you have a bone, I'm going to say, I'm, you know, and, and the expert community says it's a, a new primate bone. I'm going to believe you. Yeah. Hmm. What what would um what would lower your percentile? Like, do you think like like eDNA is a big thing, right? Like they did the lock. Mm, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big proponent of eDNA. Okay, I don't think it'll it'll go anywhere for a while. Sure. Do you, like, um, what what do you think would lower your percentile at all? Okay, I've got a couple of things that I'm working on right now. Okay, one is 
what's really interesting is there is a three-way piece of evidence being left on a very regular basis all over the country. I mean, literally every, I would say every week, 10 different locations, this is happening. Mm. And that is a simple handprint or, you know, a very large handprint with latent details with this very thick sebum. Um, it's like the waxy stuff, right? Yeah, it's like a waxy um, oil. And for years I blew it off as dust. Sure. Everybody just, oh, it left this big dusty fingerprint. And so we've gotten latent details and we've studied those and, you, you got to admit, they would be pretty tough to fake, you know, sweat pores and scars and, you know, the, the friction ridges are very complex, but probably not insurmountable. I mean, I could figure out a few ways to do it with rubber and, you know, um, blowing yeah. up, um, you know, doing scans and blowing up molds and, you know, creating a latex giant fingerprint. But what's happening is these are happening all over the country. But so here's, so here may be the key getting, you know, collecting very vetted samples, you know, wearing masks, gloves, using fresh collection DNA tubes, um, uh, you know, the, the collection sticks. And we've done that now. So now I just need to find a lab to test the stuff. And here's why we have also the chemical compound of the sebum, mm-hmm. which may be different than human. And if we can prove, let's say get um, 20 different tests of gas chromatograph, and it shows there is a an ingredient either not in human sebum or in human sebum that's not in these samples. Mm. And we can get a scientist on board to actually get a little money to start collecting these and then having a latent expert look at the prints, collecting the prints after you're done collecting all the sebum, and then doing DNA. There should be numbers of skin cells in the yeah, sebum. Yeah, you, you think yeah. so. I mean, it's, see how long they last, you know? In, in it should, no, it, we're talking it should last 50 years in the okay. sebum. Because, you know, I work with companies that are um, doing a ton of work with the FBI right now on just getting, you know, um, 20 skin cells that are 50 years old mm-hmm. and solving crimes and arresting the murderer mm-hmm. based on just a few skin cells that are 50 years old. Well, you, this should be a good new monster quest special. You could call it like fingerprints of the wild or something. Yeah. Hour long mm-hmm. special. And, and so there's one example that it needs to play out, mm-hmm. but it's um, something new you're looking into. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. And it would to me, it would raise the bar, maybe not with you guys, but I think it would raise the bar with some of the scientists that I talk to on a sometimes weekly basis that are also skeptical. I feel like if um, it would, you could get that sort of information published, that would be that'd be fantastic. Yeah, and I've I've now gotten the DNA people I am working with that um, are very qualified, unlike past studies, mm. extremely qualified to do a scientific paper. Um, yeah, it's that's just, one of the things for us, right? Because like sometimes. Um, we see people kind of do science maybe in like reverse where they like want to prove something. So they try yeah, to use I science agree. things to like, well, let's try to prove this. But we say, well, you know, you're, you're supposed to say, I wonder if this is true. And they say, well, what would make it not true? So go to the other way. So like a, a peer reviewed in a, and a more kind of mainstream scientific journal would definitely, we'd cover it here and it would interest us, you know? 
Well, like, what I would do is I would have to undertake it myself, finance it probably myself, and then go to two to three scientists and see, can I get your cooperation for a year? Yeah. You take the East Coast, you take the South, you take the North, you take the West Coast. And as soon as we get a, a handprint, I'm going to send you over there. Mm-hmm. And you can do all of your vetting, your collecting, use your protocols, and then you can take it through, you know, into the um, into the testing. And then if that raises their bar, then maybe a proper, really proper study can be yeah. done. But- well, I, I hope that you're the guy that finds Bigfoot. I think that would be a cool story. And uh, I also, really yeah, I'd like to find them so we could help preserve them and protect them if they're real. So Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Uh, it's one of the greatest mysteries because it's fueled constantly. It's unlike a lot of the other cryptid mysteries, which are not fueled on a regular basis. Yeah, like even Nessie, right? You don't see it. Like Nessie doesn't have as many kind of like hits no, nowadays. Or um, Mothman or Flatwoods Monster, where they just kind of peter out after the initial story. Right. Yeah, to me, yeah. those seem a little more likely to not, to be misidentifications. But man, if you guys if you guys were a fly in the wall here for a week and could take and field the calls that I have to field from police, sheriffs, hunters, that you know, you know, and you go, was it out in the open? You could see it. Yeah, I watched it for twenty minutes walking on a shore. You know, this was not um, you know, misidentification. Um it, you know, left footprints, hear the cast, you know, those kinds of cases really intrigue me. Mm. And they are fueled on a very, very consistent, regular basis. Yeah. And those are the ones you just hard to blow off and go, oh man, this thing's just BS. <laughs> if I had to depend on, you know, people who uh, do see uh, Bigfoots in every shadow and bush, mm-hmm. then no, I would say this whole thing's a bunch of crap yeah. because. Mm. There are people that are seen, you know, they see Bigfoots everywhere. I know that Bigfoot is like your the cryptid you're most invested in, and you, yeah. you know, you say you've uh, had encounters with it. Um, but we talked about Bigfoot a lot so far on this podcast. I really want to hear your opinion on like some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Sure, and I know a lot of people at, had questions and about this. Like, um, so after Bigfoot, like, it, you know, I know you put a lot of time into that, and and totally makes sense. Um. What would be like your next couple ones that you would really want to invest into? Like if, if you got to do some new shows, for example, if, and you know, you wanted to find real good evidence, um, what were the, what were the next handful of ones you'd want to invest into? Well, I, I really am intrigued on, you know, lake mysteries, lake monsters, mm-hmm. lake creatures. Mm-hmm. Those are my personal favorites. <laughs> and the reason is, is it's so difficult to explore a lake and it's so yeah. easy for some overgrown, um, eel, overgrown catfish, mm. sturgeon, to live in these, you know, these lakes. And so they could be misidentified, but the discovery of a 30-foot sturgeon. Would be fascinating. That'd be or awesome. a 10-foot lake trout or, you know, a 20-foot Wells catfish. Or a freshwater be, stingray. Yeah, it would be amazing. Yeah, because yeah, cool. that's not like a science-breaking discovery, you know, it just and a fantastical discovery, right? So like, I feel like that's the problem with a lot of the the previous, the older lake monsters where they're like reptiles or mosasaurs or something like that. Cause those animals have to breathe air and surface regularly. Yeah. But with other, with like these fish, like they can just stay below forever for a long well, time. There's, there's a little known um, thing that most, or let's just say 
biologists don't really study because they're just not interested. They're not curious. Mm. And that is, I was up in the Arctic and I was reeling in a 30 pound lake trout and behind it in the gin clear Arctic waters, I could see this huge lake trout. I mean, it's head had to be a foot and a half, two feet wide. I just saw six, seven, eight feet of it. And it was coming up to eat my 30 pound trout. Damn. And the guy goes, Oh, we see those once in a while. We see them on a regular <laughs> basis, but they're, you know, you can't catch them. So I got back from that trip and I called a, a fisheries biologist here. And I happened to get lucky because he was really interested in that topic. In fact, he had also seen a huge lake trout once up in the Arctic. And, and he said to me, um, yeah, they're, they're, they've got to be getting out of their niche. They're just, Dropping out of the niche of, you know, reproduction. Um, they're probably females that just don't breed. They lay in the bottom of these, um, very sterile waters, which is one thing that all of these, uh, Arctic, you know, even Loch Ness, it's an Arctic lake. Ogopogo, Arctic lake. Um, they're cold, crisp, clean waters. Very likely that an eel could get out of its niche, a lake trout, a catfish a sturgeon. And I mean, there could be one sturgeon in. Yeah. Sturgeon live quite a long time. Yeah, they do. There's also um, a very unique phenomena that we did prove and did get on film. And that is Greenland sharks can reboot, go into fresh water. They can get into, you know, fresh water, even through very, very small openings. Mm. And, you know, they can live 300 years old. It's been proven. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we may have um, um, what do you call it uh, Greenland sharks living in some of these lakes you know and they could be easily 25 feet long um, that'd definitely be an awesome discovery and you know that yeah. the good thing about hypotheses like that is um, you know they're they're more sensical like it's something we know what we're looking for other than like Loch Ness Monster whose hypothesis kind of changes around but like if yeah. we're looking for a Greenland shark, we can kind of know what we're looking for more. Right. Um, and so it's, you know, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. What we did in the St. Lawrence River, we used sonar and divers and underwater camera systems. Mm-hmm. And we when we found a blob on the sonar, we just sent our divers in. And after a number of days, we ended up swimming right alongside uh, a 12 foot Greenland shark next to a guy's walleye dock. Wow. What? That's awesome. It was literally next, you know, a guy was fishing, you know, it's where there's their fishing yeah. Northern pike and walleyes and you know, just regular game fish in this uh, very Northern looking, you know, the St. Lawrence um, river looks like a lake and here he's got shark right next to his walleye dock. And to me, those are the mysteries that are yet to be uncovered. Wow, that's and, wild. And it's experiences like that that really get me excited and think, uh, what else is in the St. Lawrence Seaway? Mm. And through all these tributaries, I mean, there could be all sorts of sea creatures that could even reboot. Bull sharks can reboot. Mm-hmm. They could also grow to extraordinary sizes. Wells catfish, if left alone and not caught or killed, they can just keep growing and yeah, growing. catfish get ridiculously large. There's yeah, um, they, there's no reason to ever to ever die, mm-hmm. especially if they don't breed. Yeah, 
I, I remember I remember there's photos taken in like the 1800s of fishers holding up um, salmon and they're giant. They're like child sized. <laughs> and the problem is that we just we eat them before they get to that size nowadays. Oh, my God. I saw a photo when I was a kid of a northern pike attacking a horse in front of a castle it was a drawing. Right. But it was it was drawn uh, drawn 500 years ago. And that picture sparked my imagination. And then I personally went on a search for giant northern pike, even at a young age. Mm. And my dream was to, you know, catch a 50 pound northern and keep pike, working. Pike are way. mean, man. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're full they're of mean. Um, And I ended up then finally just through the dream, ended up finally catching, you know, a northern pike in the 40 pound class. Wow. Awesome. Um by just studying every little thing I could about their behaviors and, and how, once again, they would also get out of their niche. Um, so this niche thing is kind of a big deal. Um, mm. and it's understudied. So, yeah, basically that's okay. So that's one of your hypotheses. Basically you have like an extreme outlier of a known species yes. that you think like kind of stops breeding and kind of goes into this mode where like it's, I guess it's metabolic rate like decreases yeah. and it just kind of like, Hangs out in the cold waters and eats and doesn't have any natural predators. Yeah, they become cannibals, uh, which is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's like, I I obviously can't tell you if that's true or not. I'm not an expert on it, but it's like, that's a hypothesis that doesn't sound unreasonable. It's not outlandish, you know? Well, that's how I ended up getting the the giant squid on tape, was Mm -hmm. using that same theory. I was told by every expert there is nothing giant in the Sea of Cortez. I was told that over and over and over, put down even by people that knew like the humble squid very well. Nah, that's a bunch of BS. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think mm-hmm. a humble squid it could even grow to astronomical sizes if it did not breed. We really like that went, episode, by the way. That was that one was awesome. <laughs> and I went on that theory in order to put the team together, the equipment, and did it, and then we ended up with success. That doesn't mean it'll be easy for someone else to do. Yeah. It's been tried again. Everybody's failed. We may have just gotten lucky, but um, those. What do you com- believe that was in that camera? I, I I believe a lot of the um, kind of thinking about it afterward is that it was a archatuthis, you know, a giant squid, which of course would not be something that you would, I believe, was known to be there at the time. But it Correct. wasn't yep. like a giant no. humble. Yep, it's been confirmed. It, it is an archatuthis. Okay, yeah, history no. did a two-hour show um, this year called um, Predators of the Deep, where they featured my team and all of the, um, uh, basically all the expeditions we did into the Sea of Cordes, combined them all into a two-hour, got experts to confirm it was an Architeuthis, and certainly they were not believed to be in the Sea of Cortez, which to me, that is a big deal, because mm-hmm. it, has, it was scientists that said that's impossible. And then Literally, we got this one scientist who's the most well-known squid scientist in the entire world saying, it's impossible, there's no Architeuthis in the Sea of Cortez. Literally a week after we interviewed him, one washed up on the shore in Mexico. <laughs> he <laughs> summoned one. them. Yeah. With his yeah. So yeah, that was kind that of That was like, a cool finding, you know, like, like I to be honest, sometimes we tease Monster Quest a little bit because we're like, oh, we're going to go, we're not going to find this thing, you know. But oh, yeah. The, but that episode, they found something. And so, like, when we watched that, we're like, yeah, you can't. This, that episode, that one <laughs> legitimately did it. So, 
But, you know, really, Monster Quest wasn't about the finding. It was about the trying to find, to yeah. try to raise the bar, mm. to do some tests, to finance some tests. To- I, I remember watching it. So I watched it as a kid, and it was like my first real exposure to to sort of cryptozoology. And I remember it just being really fascinating, like this scientific take on these concepts. It also really, really terrified me as a kid. I remember watching the the skunk ape, uh, skunk ape episode, and I'd be yeah. like, I couldn't go to sleep that night. <laughs> how how old were you? Oh curious. gosh, I got I was like, I was like ten or something like that when I was That's watching awesome. it. You, you know responsible for terrorizing young Trey now. <laughs> so 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 Trey, at least it's wholesome fear. That's the good kind of fear. Yeah, it sparks interest in science. I get so many letters constantly from from adults now that said, I went into biology, I went into forensics because of Monster Quest. I, I'm in genetics because of Monster Quest. I Are you like. serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that, that's, to me, that, that makes it all worthwhile right there. Oh, <laughs> thank you for being such a great inspiration. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And literally, um, the fact that you guys have fun with Monster Quest, that's what it's there for. But the premise of it was just me asking a bunch of dumb 12-year-old questions because I'm still 12 years old inside. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got those same, you know, those same um, curiosity. I, I live on a lake. I wonder what's in the lake right outside my home. Oh, I wonder that all the time. You know, I'm a, I'm a fisherman myself, and, like, part of it is I just like to kind of imagine what's under the water. You know, when I'm by the lake, like the curiosity is always really drawn me. The thing is, Miles, it's it's another dimension. Yeah. It's not there for us to see. And back in the, you know, let's go back a thousand years. Can you imagine where they had no tools? Oh, yeah. To see what's under the ocean, what's under the water, um, other than swimming in shallow water and opening their eyes. Sure. I, I believe Trey has a video of Alexander the Great and the diving bell. You know, oh yeah, like, he wow. supposedly made this diving bell, and like when he went under underwater, he like was terrified of what he saw. It like melted his brain. He was like, "He's like, we're thought- not fighting that. I'll fight <laughs> everyone in India or Asia. I'm not fighting the ocean." <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, it's and so I've just always been that twelve year old boy in me going, "What's in those hidden dimensions?" And to me, those are the monsters, the Beaver Lodge. I was the first person to put a camera in a wild beaver lodge. And to me, that's sad because I'm not a scientist. I'm just that, once again, that 12-year-old, what's in there? I want to know what goes on when no one's around, no one's looking. You know, I, I don't care about what beavers do in a zoo lodge that they built out of yeah. hydrocal. I want to know what's going on in a real beaver lodge. Um, and so we put this camera. It took us two years to you know, chisel through this little hole. We get this camera in, we turn it on, infrared, and all of a sudden we see little beavers. And we're looking, we're like, oh my God, those are muskrats. Those aren't beavers. And then all of a sudden these giant, which look like giant compared to the muskrats, came in and right away the muskrats start grooming the beaver. Huh. And we're like, what the you know what i mean yeah (laughs) and i was like see there's where the curiosity pays off and Mm. so there's another scientific paper being published right now on that working with a university and with dr lynn rogers and they're going to publish a scientific paper on 
It's the world's first mammal cohabitation, where two mammals of different species are cohabitating and working together cooperatively. Like the muskrats do all the bedding and all the flooring. The beavers work in all the sidewalls and the roof and the sticks and the mud. And so they they work together for mutual survival. Well, there's, there's then, us and dogs, of course. And then, yeah, and then to see um, the muskrats do the grooming, and then the beaver, um, the female beaver got pregnant. And she was about to have her kids. And we're thinking, oh, my God, this will be so amazing because now we're going to have little these little beaver uh, kits. And we're wondering why the muskrats going to play a role in raising those hmm. beavers. <laughs> and then a wolf chewed through our, our mile long cable. Oh, oh shoot. <laughs> and so, yeah, I haven't done it. I haven't redone it, but you, you have no idea how sad it made me to think I'm the only one. I'm the only one that was curious enough to do this. I, I, hmm. can, I can definitely understand that feeling. It made me um, sad. Yeah. Actually. Um, that's a fantastic story, but uh, just to ask you a different question on a totally different axis. Um, was there ever uh, an episode of the show? A lot of people ask this. So that's why I want to get it out there. Um, that you left like less convinced of a cryptid that you um, looked into. What's all around you? almost everywhere you look and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. Um, yeah, probably the, you know, the chupacabra. Yeah. Um, to me, yeah, certainly some evidence to me that seems physical where animals have been drained of blood. But that's a phenomenon that's been going on for a thousand years. Yeah, to me, that one's like an obvious cultural phenomenon because we, we have this source. Yeah. And so that's, well, that's a phenomenon that's been going on for years and years, forever. And then suddenly to blame it on this so-called space creature. And then somehow it shifts to coyotes with a mange. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like it has to become more naturalistic because otherwise they don't get as much credence. You know, like people aren't going to believe as a supernatural monster as much as a natural one. So the story is like the weirdness kind of gets sucked out of them over time. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, you know, I don't know what's sucking blood out of chickens and necessarily, yeah, there's natural explanations, yeah. but I just don't have all the answers. What about flatwood? Um, flatwoods, to me, it's just, you know, it's one of those, such a divergent story from what we normally did. It's very weird, right? That's, yeah. that's kind of why I ask. Like, it's like, I remember, wanted, um, remember your depiction was be- like a lizard person. Yeah, they wanted to do the Flatwoods Monster. And, you know, we did the best. I mean, what can you do with it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's almost awkward for somebody like myself to have to produce a show like that. Yeah. But you get a limited budget. You do the best you can do. You tell the story. There's some witnesses. And certainly yeah, we were, an interesting case. But We were wondering about that, kind of like how much did, 
like could you be like oh i don't think this one's real enough let's focus on one that there's a better chance or like or do they kind of like oh this is a popular one you gotta gotta go with it no towards the end there i ended up with a different executive producer Mm -hmm. that was kind Mm -hmm. of um let's just put it strongly steering me to do things i did not want to do is this Mm -hmm. when history channel slowly turned into the ancient aliens brand over time? yeah when i had to do you know like monster quest we had to do one on ghosts and i'm like oh god (laughs) great better mysteries than doing that and there's so many other people doing that why where are we bothering yeah i to me the ones i did get excited about is when we're trying to you know find a giant crocodile in florida that's fascinating at least there's some interest there and we ended up did film the world's biggest crocodile in india yeah see that kind of stuff's awesome because like you know from my perspective that's something we're more likely to find and i also just i just want to know what the biggest one is you know like when people start googling shark videos like their third or fourth google search is going to be what's the biggest shark right people want to know so like to have a show try to go find it that that's a fun show yeah things like that i like doing but um you know if i've got to do one on killer chimps I'm just, my brain just shuts down. Yeah, that's funny. That's the episode I think I've watched the least. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't care. I guarantee you it would have the lowest ratings. Yeah. But those I think, are ones that I believe pushed. on IMDb, the highest rated one is the giant squid. And yeah. the lowest rated one on IMDb, at least, this isn't, you know, actual ratings, but just their star rating, was the uh, bird one, the which we watched last episode, the Birdzilla one. Yeah. Which I think was fun. I mean, I like the giant kite you guys put together. Yeah, I mean, we 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 did some science. We're there once again. It would have been an experiment you guys would have done, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that would have been right up your alley. Um, yeah. And I'm curious about those things too. Misidentifications. What could have happened here? And it's such an outlier. I mean, there's really been one kid that was attacked, and apparently, you know, it was witnessed um, by the mother of him being lifted. Mm. He was obviously too young to remember that. Yeah. Like um, to, to me, when I hear that story, my, my first kind of instinct is a bird probably got near him and it was scary. And their memory has like kind of rewrote it to be this, you know, because, um, you know, like every time you remember something, you remember the last time you remembered it. So like they change over time. Yeah. Um. So I think they probably their, their memory has just kind of been faulty of it. But I mean, it's definitely a cool story and one worth looking into and just like. You, know, you got the show some California condors and stuff in the episode. So any yeah. any but, attention you bring to real animals that are endangered, you know, is good because it can help people be interested I in protecting them. I think that was our first monster quest. Oh, was it? Oh, really? It's, really? it's number four yeah. on the list, but I don't know the air date. I could have swore it was our first one, but I could be wrong. That on the the list, um, the uh, champ is the first one. Is that the first one we yeah. did? Now that you know, once again, um, the underwater thing. I had built these high speed where you could tow them underwater camera systems. And to me, if there is a creature, you know, some odd creature living there, once again, you're not going to sneak up on it, but maybe you could plow a camera at 30 miles an hour over it yeah, and get some footage. And so there's where um, I feel like I've contributed something to the record of that system could be used in the future, even for what normal, Wildlife documentation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we obviously think, sorry, you talked, right? Oh yeah. That's what I really liked about monster quest is that it was like sort of this um, incentive to start, like to search, like the idea of searching is important. Um, Even, even if the results don't end up in the end, it's, it's the searching that is important. Well then, 
and there's many cases where I couldn't attend to, you know, to literally be the, um, uh, the director out there and say, no guys, we're going to go, we're going to work an extra four hours today. I know yeah. we've worked eight, but we're going to go work another four and we're going to go and do this because I would get let down on occasion where I couldn't go, where I felt the director let me down mm. by not having enough curiosity to work harder, to try it again. You know, I, I would get these excuses. Well, this didn't work or, you know, we didn't have time to fix that. Or, you know what I mean? There's one episode like that we mentioned that I'd be interested to hear a comment on. It was when the, the creationist guy was in looking for uh, um, the brontosaur. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, the Mancunian Bimbe episode. Yeah, and he's like, oh, we found a lair that he lives in. And he's like, but it's too hot. We're not going to go look today. And I'm like, my man, <laughs> you think that there's a dinosaur that sleeps exactly. over there? Like, do whatever you can to find the dinosaur. Yeah, and that was the show I, you know, I couldn't attend on location. Yeah. And you do your best to do a brain dump and to give them all of the, and you hope you hired the best people mm-hmm. to uh, do how that. Did, how did, I mean, I don't want to really on this too hard, but how did it come to be that you guys hired him since he, like, he's a creationist, you know, like he doesn't have a science background. He's trying to prove something for a theo- theological point, which, you know, would yeah. probably bias him. Like, well, how did it come he, to be that he was the guy? Sometimes it's the the person that would be available during that yeah. time period. It just kind of yeah, got to hire somebody. It just yeah, I mean, you got to hire somebody. That makes sense. Yeah, if you if you had to produce sometimes as many as twenty six one hour documentaries a year, oh, that's a just to produce one. Oh, I get you. I, I mean, yeah. I I'm a comic book writer, you know, so I I I have to hire letterers and colors and artists and stuff. So like, it's not nearly as many people for a show, but I kind of get you. Sometimes you just got to grab somebody. So. Yeah, it it, yeah. it it's it gets difficult. And you know, ideally would be to produce maybe six a year. That would be ideal. Mm-hmm. And to, probably not too many people that want to trek around the jungle looking for a dinosaur anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, not covered with you know um, it looked like that shoot was was really a, a tough one. It's like, tough. Yeah. G- getting everybody out there and the equipment working and everything looks like it was just exhausting. <laughs> But I, yet I don't think anybody's topped us. I can't. I can't think of a new crypto zoology show that went. Oh my god, they just kicked our butts. No, Monster Quest <laughs> you know, is the one. It, Monster, the there's nothing like Monster Quest. I feel yeah. like because um, I think all that's left now is like the ghost hunting shows, and then like the which I hate. Yeah, they're hate just they, they're kind of just. <laughs> there's not much to show for it, and then um, what's the Bigfoot one? Hunting Bigfoot. Um, Finding Bigfoot and Expedition Bigfoot. I'm not Mm. personally a fan of those either. I I know that you probably know Moneymaker and stuff, so, you know, you probably like them more than I do. But um. I, um, you know, Matt was the one that I ended up calling, getting a hold of back in the 90s when I couldn't get any answers on the footprints I found. Yeah. Well, it's like nobody was interested. I'm like, something made those footprints. There was a decline of interest for a while on the big guy. And, you know, Matt at least was, I mean, he was so enthusiastic. He was willing to work with me. And I was like, I want to do a TV show on this topic too. And then, you know, Matt was just so generous with his time and um, got me to the point where at least I could, you know, make some sense of the mystery and at least the history and, and what it was. And, um, and then we did, I did that show uh, with Matt and with Bobo, Mysterious Encounters. Have you guys ever seen that? Yes. Uh, no. I have. 
Oh, okay. It's on. I think somebody posted them all on YouTube. You know, it was a one season wonder, and it was on a sports network. I don't think anybody ever saw it. Um, yeah, they're on YouTube. Yeah, and they're on YouTube, and they're they're interesting. But once again, you know, you're being controlled by executives in New York City. Sure. <laughs> so we had a couple of people question us about the like the dog head, um, the um, dog man episode, and the, I believe it's pronounced the Gable film. Like some people ask, yeah. like, how did they fall for that? I, I don't know, like how. We um, were the ones that debunked it. We debunked yeah, it. yeah. We got to, to confess. Definitely. So, like, I think I think part of the um, concern was that, like, why even bring it up since it's fake? Was, well, I'm not because, necessarily saying this is my point, but this is just some of the questions. Or like, like the beginning of the episode kind of is like, could this be true? Kind of thing. Other than being like, yeah. yeah. Um, in that case, um, I always knew it was fake, but had no yeah. proof of it being fake. I literally had people argue with me. That it was real. real and it's real. And <laughs> it's one of those um, things. It was put to bed. But I do want to say, I just heard another network is doing basically the ripoff of Monster Quest. They're doing yeah. the Gable film. Oh. Hiring a big panel of people to look at it. And, and literally those people called me. <laughs> to get my opinion and i'm like oh my god we debunked that why in the world are they redoing that yeah so, so i think that's why we even are interested in this show because like as skeptics you know like and as kids who grew up loving cryptids you know it's kind of a conflict maybe in our minds because like we love this stuff so much but we also don't want to promote things we don't think are true because like i know being really dedicated to the truth is very important to me i think monster quest has a, enough of a balance of debunking and looking for the truth that like it's still fun to talk about even from mm -hmm. us and so like yeah you guys do debunk it there like like to my mind i kind of don't like the pretending it's true for a little bit in the episode to you know they kind of hype it up but i get that it's more dramatic and like I said to the show's credit definitely it, it does say that it's not true so well it's interesting that you say that because literally we were already done with production mm -hmm. and when we debunked it finally and got the confession and we were done. I mean, we were done shooting the show. We had already yeah. invested a huge amount of money and time. It isn't like we knew it was fake 100% going in. Hmm. I knew it was fake, but that doesn't mean anything. Yes. You know, it's just my opinion. But to get proof, like I just did last week on this other film, um, once you know it ahead of time, even the network had enough integrity to say, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. Hmm. That's because really we haven't started to film it yet. Do, do um, like the narrator, like the, is there a team that writes what he says, or is that? Um, generally, I would do the rough writing. Okay, that's interesting. And um, uh, somewhat unpolished. Did you get a and writer then, credit for that? No, never. Oh, too bad. Oh, oh boo! <laughs> I remember. I remember one script I wrote for uh, Discovery Channel. Wrote the entire script. They hired a writer, paid him ten thousand. He changed like four words. Heck yeah! <laughs> and he got the credit and the ten grand. I got nothing. Yeah, okay. I, I, I've I've worked on some video games where I got no writing credit, you know, but I wrote a bunch of the stuff. It's yeah, like, it happens. <laughs> you just kind of swallow hard and move on, yeah. and whatever. But um, we love the narrator guy, especially how he says Monster Quest every, every time we. Uh, Go to part of the show where we're doing Monster Quest. Where I was like Monster Quest. Oh, the oh, intro is amazing. Yeah. The intro is so <laughs> iconic. 
Stan, yeah, there's only one Stan Bernard. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. I had literally wanted Stacy Keach to do it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, no, you know, we need somebody young. And then they find me Stan. It was their suggestion. And I talked to Stan. I liked his voice. And I approved him, but Stan was quite a bit older than Stacy. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got a kick out of that. And I was just like, you know, me and Stacy were friends. And I'm sure Stacy wasn't very happy because Stacy had um, did the uh, Giganto, um, the real King Kong demo for me. Um, he was up here just visiting with me. And, and all of a sudden I had this thing and say, Hey, let's get you in the studio. Can you record this? So Stacy goes in the studio with me. We record the Giganto demo and for history channel or to pitch history channel. Mm-hmm. And then of course we ended up getting the, the job and I figured, well, Stacy's for sure a shoe in for monster quest. And he would have done a great job too. Mm. Um, but, so I'm glad you like Stan. I love Stan too, but they were both, um, they both would have been amazing. It's, it's a very iconic part of the show, at least in my mind. So <laughs> oh, they, that, yeah. and then the, um, the early sort of CGI recreations of the monsters. Um, yeah, those were done um, by an amazing, I had an amazing team as a huge team of people. And the leader was, his name was Han Su. Um, hmm. who had actually escaped from North Korea. Oh, wow. Good for him. <laughs> crazy. The, the stories that um, he would tell me being in the military in North Korea, and we would go out and have sushi, and um, he was just an amazing guy. They worked really hard on that animation. Yeah, I mean, some of the CGI, of course, looks dated now, but it looks really cool back then. You know, yeah, like, I, I, I think it still holds like some of it still holds up. The mutant canine for me for like a couple of scenes, I was like, wow, it looks pretty good still. Yeah, it, 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 it seems to be holding and they wouldn't have re aired all the shows again. Yeah. Um, uh, so, some of the, yeah, so like we've been watching through them, like the, the giant squid episode, for example, like isn't on YouTube and isn't on Amazon. You have to pay five dollars right. for the history vault to get it, but I paid it, yeah. I went and watched it. Hey, you, guys, you guys might want to check out the Predators of the Deep. Okay, of that, the that's deep. The, uh, the new two special hour. based around that episode, right? Yes, yeah, okay. it's a two hour, two hour special. Okay. Yeah, th- this time we're doing the Turner Beast. We're, we're skipping the second Bigfoot episode just because we talked so much Bigfoot on the show. Because we did the one where you go up to the cabin, right? And then we did the the sequel to that because you know it was right there. And then we had Jeff yeah. on, so we just we've kind of been Bigfooted out the last couple episodes. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just one of those topics that uh, won't go away. Yeah, yeah, like I said, to me, like Bigfoot, like my kind of feeling about it is he's kind of a cryptid based around grief of us colonizing America and like killing the wilderness. Because like this country was so wild to the Europeans as, as we moved in. And then like we've kind of like explored most of the big things there are to explore of course there's tons of little mysteries and science all around the world that we don't know but like you know we just want there to be something still in the woods something still wild and bigfoot kind of is that for us so that's kind of what i feel like bigfoot is he's like well, i've got i've got a story for you and i want you guys okay. we're going to reverse this for a second oh I'm yeah gonna tell you guys a quick story okay and i want you to tell me what happened okay. because i don't know if i, I can do that know, because i really I'm so hard pressed to even come up with a with a stupid explanation for it. Sure. In other words, I can't even debunk it with a stupid explanation. So here's what happened. Mm-hmm. So we 
we go up, um, we want to take a kind of a glamping Bigfoot expedition trip because I want to I want to bring my youngest daughter. So my son, his girlfriend, myself, my youngest daughter, and my best friend go up to this. I reserve this. Um, it's completely off the grid. Really a rugged road to get in. 11 miles on a logging trail. That's You have to have a four-wheel drive vehicle to get in there. So it's back 11 miles. No other places. All alone. Solar paneled. It's on a lake. It's desolate. It's on the edge of the Boundary Waters canoe area. So we get there and my son does a wood knock. One wood knock. And it's within five minutes we hear just an incredible scream. It sounds like a kind of a, you know, this real growly, gruff, human-y, like a human trying to make a growl sound. So that gets us all, we're all perked up now. And my daughter's already freaking out um, because she heard this clear day right next to the cabin. So we go in the cabin. There's no curtains on the windows. So she makes me put up a, um, uh, a blanket over the window. I duct tape it on and because she said, I'm not, I'm sleeping in your room and we're going to put, you know, a blanket over this window because sure. <laughs> there's nobody out there. Yeah. I'm just going to look at the window. So we go to bed first night and it's about three in the morning. And I, and I, I did have a rifle with me. Um, it's not loaded. And I hear somebody, clearly somebody walked up on the porch. And they opened and closed. There's a push button on a recycling bin on the porch for glass. And they open and close it, open and close it, open and close it. Very gracefully. As if they've done it a hundred times before. Then they go over to the one on the other side of the door. And I can clearly hear the hinge and the button getting clicked and open and closing. You know, because you can hear it shut and then hear it yeah. open. Then I hear him walk down the stairway and play with Joe's tonneau cover on his truck. They're peeling it back and you're playing with the Velcro tonneau cover. Then they walk back up the porch, open and close the recycling bin for the glass, do the same one on the on the aluminum one about maybe 20 times each. And at this point, I'm laying there listening because it's right by my head. And I'm hearing this through the window. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? I've got my daughter who's very young. She's nine years old. And do I run out there and surprise a human intruder? Right? Well, I even have time to get bullets in my 3030, which is not the easiest gun to load quick. What do I do? Or do I just keep laying here and just be quiet and hope this whatever it is goes away? Or is it a Bigfoot possibly? Because we did hear the screams. All right. And then, so I'm just laying there quiet. I doze off finally, listening to this activity up and down. How I dozed off, I have no idea because earlier I had a ton of adrenaline. Then, the cabin gets hit with something I would say equivalent to a semi truck. It felt like a semi truck hit the cabin. Did the it whole break cabin, it? the whole cabin gets shoved to the point where the bed is up against the wall. It gets shoved, and the bed goes away from the wall. Whoa. My daughter and I both rise up from a dead sleep immediately and look at each other and swear. <laughs> saying what the F, right? (laughs) And it was so powerful 
that it was like in a you know it, it felt like a truck like a semi truck mm-hmm. had bumped into the side of the cabin and then it was over so that's that's well then just to finish the story every night we did have activity there we had rocks thrown at the cabin other nights every night it would attack a different side of the cabin but how do you explain the cabin giving shoved in the middle of nowhere where there's a lock gate you know off this logging road certainly wasn't a truck there was no damage to the cabin how do you you know how do you come up with a even a stupid explanation for that well, you know, it can be hard to explain like any sighting because because part of it is, you know, of course, I wasn't there. So, like, I don't have my own opinion of the, you know, the stimuli that you were getting. Um, you know, people have the same kind of um, weird like things with UFO stories or or demons, you know, and, and they're like half asleep, half awake. And they get these kind yeah. of like night terror visions where like they get a bunch of stimuli that they believed happened and then they wake up and then it kind of is different in their mind. Like some of the things happened and some of it's their brain, you know, in like a semi sleep state trying to put together this information. Of course I get see, I can't say, Oh, you didn't hear what you thought you heard or see what you thought you well, saw. Cause you know, I well, don't well, well, here, well, here's where it's real. Everybody mm-hmm. else woke up in the cabin too, from this and the bed was shoved at least a foot from the wall. Well, so, so in like, it could be true. I mean, like that's a pretty big, thing if it's hit by the amount uh, of a semi-truck right like i mean like would a bigfoot even be able to push the cabin that much like what are they that's, 400 pounds that's <laughs> exactly that's the weird part of it mm-hmm. it's everything is so bizarre well, yeah, just, I mean, like, like i i see i i don't know how to answer the story is, is the truth of it either. but i mean like like some parts of it can sound like oh it was, it was a bear or where were you exactly again um it was um northern minnesota Okay. On the it would have been on the western edge of the boundary waters. Okay, so like so I say, like like a moose is large enough to shake a cabin if it hits it, you know. But like a moose doesn't explain all the phenomenon. But like again, I don't know. Like, like I know I if you're asking me, like, can I explain the the story? No, but like I the, I think the reason why like those kind of stories don't really move the needle for us skeptics is you know like we kind of care about the prior probability. Um, a lot of any explanation being true. And I think just the prior probability that there is a great ape in North America that's undiscovered to this point is just extremely low. So if I hear a weird story, I don't really put that into one of the likely explanations. Right. You know, like I, I, my, my first explanation would be, you know, some natural phenomenon or, you know, just human brains are weird. Human brains are really good at seeing things that aren't there and making stuff up and explaining yeah. them afterwards. You know, the human mind also really wants an explanation. It doesn't like, you know, when it doesn't know. Like, people will lie to themselves about their own motivations to make we themselves feel better. We, we did record the audio of every oh, night. Oh, that's, that's interesting. That's great. Really. So there was no imagination on any of it. Yeah. Well, again, I'm not trying to, like, say that, you know, you're being dishonest at all. You know, I'm just, well, my I, question is, yeah. what does one do with the information? You have the audio recordings. Mm-hmm. You have the rocks, you know throwing being thrown at the cabin you have um there was um a broom that was thrown at the cabin violently one night um it's all recorded but you're like we're in the middle of nowhere at three in the morning is this a it would have to be a person but the thing that rules out the person is when the cabin got shoved that hard there's no person could do that under um, the giant could 
Mm, I doubt it. <laughs> how, how dare you doubt Andre the Giant? Uh, He's a national treasure. <laughs> did you um? You, you said you had the audio recordings of the yeah. the sounds. The yeah uh, yeah. Sesquale, yeah, we like, always loved audio reads. See, that's one thing we at least do. At the very least, we'll leave an audio recorder, a Zoom, you know, like a Zoom H1 outside. Hmm. So you can at least, because, you know, you're going to fall asleep. You don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. At least you have some, you know, um, some evidence for our own use. It's not for anybody else. Sure. Hmm. Is there um, any cryptids that you wish you could have done episodes on, but you didn't get to? Sure. Um Gosh, let me think. I really like the the beast of Busco myself, the giant turtle. Yeah, that's that interesting. Yeah. Um, but there is God, there was one that I thought of yesterday. There definitely are things that we didn't get a chance to do. We did not run out of, you know, crypto topics to continue. We could have went on forever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. literally. Well, it's not like you're finding them all and writing them off the list. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, Bigfoot done, locked us done. We got him over here. He's going to be interviewed on the next episode. Yeah. What I, I've got a question for you uh-huh. guys. Mm-hmm. What What are your thoughts on the um, the supposed footage from UFOs? Oh, we just uh, so here's here's my honest opinion of it. Just to be brief, because we actually went on the last episode. Um, I think that you have a group of paranormal researchers. You know, Bigelow who owns Skinwalker Ranch, who nope. kind of has a bunch of people that have worked for him or worked around him and this he gets a political favor from Harry Reid to get 22 million dollars to have this little side cottage thing at the Pentagon where they basically look at um video of unidentified flying phenomenon a lot of which has identifications by the um Pentagon it wasn't classified it was on a classified server um Alonzo files a form to get these videos which had listings on the form he filed um he releases them like the gimbal video and stuff. They, they say that they're aliens. They then leave this organization to go work with Tom DeLong's from Blink 182's UFO group. And then this group who's really invested in like telepathy and extraterrestrials kind of says, Oh, look, the Pentagon says they're real. I think that's kind of a bit of like washing. Cause like it wasn't really the Pentagon. It was them and their little group. So I don't really find them to be convincing at all. Like, obviously, I think that aliens have a higher probability of existing than, like, Bigfoot. So, like, you know, I'm interested in that regard, but I don't think this evidence really interests me too much. And I kind of feel like it was bad reporting by the mainstream media to act like the Pentagon was releasing this when really it was a bunch of uh, paranormal researchers. So that's kind of my quick take on it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I think you might might not like that that thing. In that vein, like um, after like sort of reviewing the footage and seeing people break it down, like the the footage itself isn't um, exactly too convincing. It's very blurry and blobs in the distance, yeah. and you don't really get the uh, gravity defying uh, feats that the pilots claim they saw um, in the footage. So it's hard to say that there's anything super significant about it. I think uh, at the moment, but I'd be willing to change my mind. I had a dinner one time with the uh, a retired, I'm not going to give his name, but with a retired person who was the head of the Space Command. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm having dinner. And, of course, I asked him the question, <laughs> are there any UFOs? <laughs> you know, and, of course, he looks at me and he goes, there are no UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I looked at him and I said, that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and he went on to explain how... Um, 
there's no way anything is unidentified that they do have the capability to see very clearly what's coming in, going out. So there's definitely a conflict of, you know, I, I find it interesting they release such terrible, blurry. Right. Blobbing. Yeah. Well, it's basically yeah. the guy who's going on doing the interviews, you know, and then his friend who works for this UFO group released them because like they're acting like they were classified, but they were on a classified server. But the videos themselves yeah. were never classified, which is why they don't care to release them. Like, yeah. It's just, I don't know, it's just kind of another blob squatch basically thing to me. It's just like, okay, yep. you know, exactly. like, look, look I, I want to see a video of Loch Ness Monster. I want to see video of Bigfoot, Flatwood, aliens. Like, I want that stuff so bad. I talk about it all the time, even though I don't believe it. Like, <laughs> that's how much I want it to be true. But every time yeah. someone's like, hey, look at this, it's just something I can't test or look at. I'm like, come on, man, give me a monster. Give me a space dude. Yeah, that, and that may never happen. That's that's the interesting part. It may never happen because yeah, but see, I think they're, they're not real. I think I mean there's still new stuff to find, right? Like I don't believe that any of these cryptids are likely to be true, and I don't think that if there are aliens, they're probably going to come to Earth anytime soon. But there's tons of stuff in this world to discover. Maybe it's microbial and small. Maybe there's some large things to find. But you know, I don't want people to think that just because like us skeptics don't think the flatwood monster is hanging about, you know that there isn't still amazing stuff to discover and explore, even if it's just the behavior of animals we know exist, like you found mm -hmm. with the beaver. So, you know, we're definitely pro curiosity and pro looking. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. And then that's really um, kind of my, always been my message. Just keep curious. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to come to a conclusion, but keep looking, keep being curious. Don't talk yourself out of being curious. We live in an amazing uh, world, amazing universe. Um, yeah, we don't even know how life got started on Earth yet. We don't know how gravity works exactly. There's tons of yeah, things. Exactly. You know, that's why I like like um, paleo stuff is so fascinating to me because we do find monsters, right? Yeah. Like that's, and, you, that's, and, and you only find a small percentage of the ones that actually existed too. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was talking to some people the other day, and I said we really don't even have fossil record of modern animals. Hmm. So if they were all to get you know disappear. Yeah, we've got bones and, you know, obviously, and we know they're real because we see them all the time. We eat them. But if they were to all disappear one day, there would be no fossil record of white-tailed deer, modern buffalo, modern black bear, hmm. you know, modern fox, modern wolf. There's no fossil record of them. It's there's, interesting. Yeah, there's very few. Um, there's almost no chimpanzee fossils. Um, there's a, there's tons and tons of fossils of um, prehistoric humans and early humans, but there's none of like chimpanzees. I think there's only been like one or two, and that's because the acidification of like the rainforest. So, yeah, it's really crazy how much we're missing in the paleontology. Yeah, it would be interesting if this uh, whole world goes up in a big nuclear uh, holocaust. I wonder. Future generations, should anybody survive, um, would have no record. <laughs> They'll think like so, giraffes were myths and stuff. <laughs> I, that's why white, I kind of white tail deer. <laughs> white tail deer would be the, would be on the new Monster Quest show. Oh my god! Two hundred years from now. <laughs> you mean to tell me there was a platypus? Come on, there's absolutely no way that this existed. <laughs> well, that's you bring up a great point. Yeah. Um, there's so many weird animals on this planet that do exist. That just like defy logic, you know, platypus, the giraffe, hippopotamus. I mean, 
they're just so bizarre. And the giraffe um, defies logic just evolutionarily. Like it has a nerve that goes from its head, like all the way down its giant body and neck, and then all the way back up to the same spot. You know, yeah. just because like it didn't evolve to have such a, like that nervous system didn't evolve with a long neck. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, there's. I'm so I'm I'm glad at least I'm interested in Bigfoot. Mm. At least it doesn't have a duck bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is plausible. You know, it's. Somewhat... I, I think he's much more plausible than most. Like I said, yes. I, I I'm approaching zero, but I would give Bigfoot like. I don't know, a hundred times more likely than the Loch Ness monster and probably like a million times more likely than the Flatwood monster or Mothman, you know? Yeah. I mean like, you know, this is all on the edges, but I mean, you're telling me that there's a large bipedal ape we didn't find, you know, like that on itself. I'm like, yeah, that's possible. But I think like when we look at it in totality, I think it gets smaller, but like, it's not an, an incredibly outlandish claim to say that there's another ape because there are apes. So. Hmm. Yeah, and it will be interesting if we do discover any new big apes, you know, just regular yeah. great apes. Well, if you got an ape in North America, then then I'd give you a half a percentage point plus. You know, I'm still I'm still confused on like the bonobo. Yeah. Is that really proven to be a new species or not? I cannot seem to get any it's, answer it's blurry. That I'm into. Yeah, the line between like species is like kind of vague sometimes. Um, and I think I think. Oh God, I have to be up to date with the current research, but I think it changes every few years, man. It changes every few years and they use different stuff to, to classify something as a new species. Um, I think bonobo, at least in. No, no, I, I didn't mean bonobo. I meant the lion killer. The, um, Oh, what's the new one? Oh God, I can't think of it. It isn't, it isn't bonobo. the, the big, uh, the Billy ape. That's it. Okay. The Billy ape. Yeah. That's the one I meant. Yeah. Well, I mean like even between, uh, like homo sapiens, like all the different subtypes, you know, Lucy and stuff like they're really arguing if these are even different species or not, you know, because the line is so small. Yeah. Well, the Billy ape is supposed to be, um, you know, this uh, overgrown type um, chimpanzee. Mm. It's supposed to be so big. It nests on the ground. Um, And I have talked to a number of primatologists and they think it could be even a hybrid between gorillas, lowland gorillas and chimps. Hmm. which is really interesting. But I, but there's literally, I have that told to me constantly, oh, the, well, the Billy Apes been proven to exist. I'm not so sure about that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know. It, top of my head. It would be a great topic for your show. Yeah, yeah well, we'll, look, so we'll look into it because I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, so there, there was like a revival of Monster Quest, right? Were you associated with that or? No, not really. Um, only in creating the original, you know, the original content. Yeah. They added a, they took a new narrator, <clears throat> added a few interviews and some drone shots. Yeah. Oh, nice. <clears throat> which didn't exist back when we were filming mm-hmm. Monster Quest. Um, and that's, then they, well, I guess that's all new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you feel name? about the direction of History Channel? Like it's, um, the massive success of ancient aliens, for example, not just the reality stuff, you know, like Pawn Stars or whatever, making them so much money. But like, are you a fan of the ancient alien show or do you have criticisms for it? Um, plenty of criticisms. Okay. Um, yeah. It seems to be a, a real thirst for these deep formulas in mm-hmm. these shows, you know, where they're just so formulaic. Mm. You can hardly tell one episode from the other. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the Oak Island one, uh, the Curse of Oak Island, really amazes me. That's still on the air. Mm. Yeah. 
Can you? Because I don't remember. I, I watched the show a bit, but I'm not as familiar as you. Can you maybe summarize that episode? Well, it's you know they're looking for the Ark of the Covenant on okay. this island, and they're digging up this island, and they've been digging for the last 14 years. Yeah, <laughs> and you know I I like. And even longer if you account like the excavations that existed before them. Oh yeah, and then you think about the evidence they've found to keep them going has been, to me, nil. Mm-hmm. But it's a formula show. Well, Indiana yeah. Jones already found it anyway. There- it's just I think there's a big thirst for these um, repeated things. Okay, take the um, the fisherman shows. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, deadly yeah. catch or something. Catching deadly crabs catch. in the big cold water. I want you to think about that. What separates one episode from the next? I have no idea. Nothing. nothing. <laughs> no, you couldn't point out anything. But people, I think, like to go really brain dead. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I think if you could, so you can throw enough images in front of them, and they can just go brain dead, repeat the same formula over and over and over, the same process. They seem to like it because it's very popular. Personally, Ice road truckers and stuff. Jeez. I would go nuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, beyond one season, I would go nuts producing. I actually pitched Ice Road Truckers and got turned down. Oh yeah. wow! But I wanted, but I wanted to do a two-hour documentary. Sure. And that was it. Yeah, because I, I can understand. Oh, it's cool. This big truck went through this ice. I wonder how that works. Okay, I got it. Right. Next. You know? <laughs> yeah. But to show it over and over and over and to kind of make up this phony drama. Well, you know, me, man, they're they're cheap to make, right? Reality TV is cheap. So Yeah, it's cheap to make, but then they can hype up the you know, the drama. It's like um what's that other show? Mountain Men or Mountain? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Swamp it's like, people. okay, you know the snowmobile is gonna break down, right? <laughs> yeah, well, nobody's gonna make a podcast in fifteen years going and watching every episode of Ice Road Truckers. You know, yeah. that's a good point. But we're <laughs> yeah. still here for Monster Quest. Yeah, and I never had a formula. I just the formula was just being curious. Mm. What can I do? What what am I curious about? What do I want to do? How much time do I have? How much money do I have to do that? And that's it. And that was the formula, just curiosity. So you're picking a, at least up on the the curious part of it, and I'm very complimented by that. Well, that's good, man. Like, and we really appreciate you being on the show because I, I know that like some people don't want to come on the skeptic shows, you know, because they okay. think we're gonna be a jerk. But we're only a little oh, bit of a jerk, awesome. so it, you can do awesome. it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I I did listen to one of your um, podcasts. Oh, cool. And and you guys are um, not that I won't listen to more. Mm-hmm. You guys are very uh, smart. Oh, mm. thanks, buddy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Intelligent. You think. Um, and there's so little of that right now in podcasting, mm. in TV shows, and anything. And so I really compliment you on what you're doing. Well, that's oh. really nice of you to say. Uh, I Thank know that so we much. um we do tease the show sometimes in our reviews, but it's in a very loving way, you know. You can yes, you can tease it all yeah. you want. Because <laughs> like, like I'm certainly not going to take it personally. Like there's there's a funny part in the Turner one we're going to talk about later, where like you know the narrator's like uh. And th- and this lady is a wolf expert, and we're finally going to hear what she has to say. She's like, "It's a dog," and then like they ask the veterinarian, and they're like, "Veterinarian, what do you think it is?" She's like, "It's a dog, man." And then <laughs> it's just like the quick cuts at the end. It's like kind of an- anticlimactic to like all the build up, and so like that stuff's kind of funny, you know. But like, I, I like they went and asked people, you know, instead of just pretending like it is a giant monster that they found. So. 
Yeah, it, it, exactly. At least we're getting to the getting to the bottom of it. Yeah, because I mean, it's um, it's a you know it's a forty minute show, right? So like you gotta gotta have you a gotta plot. do something. Yeah. You gotta get people past the commercials and stuff too. Yeah. yeah, and it gets you know I mean there are those kinds of formulas that you do. The reset is a formula, but the actual content or the scientific experiments, you just kind of do what you can do and just mm-hmm. kind of move on and get the answers you can. There's you kind know. of a problem in science publishing where people don't publish negative studies um, just because, you know, it's not flashy, right? Like, oh, we tried to make this thing work and it didn't work. The study, nobody cares. But Mo- Monster Quest does publish its negative results. So I'll give it that. Like the second mm-hmm. time you go back to the cabin, um, you know, that Bigfoot allegedly attacked. Yeah. Like yep. there really wasn't that much other than the blueberry event, you know, like. No, there was nothing. We had no yeah. activity. But but you published it, you know, so. We, um, well, to me, to the process, because, for instance, um, you know, I came up with this idea to build a blind. What would I want? So I'm actually at the cabin. I'm thinking about what in the world would I really want here? It would be really cool to try to have a blackout tent and a bunch of uh, uh, camera systems, you know, near the cabin and then monitor them to where it looks like we're sleeping. Mm-hmm. The point is you have to go through all those exercises, build all this equipment. We had to build the tent, build this, build that, customize all this equipment, fly all these batteries up because there's no power up there. And then nothing happens. Yeah. And nothing did happen. And then, that pilot thing and bless his heart, he at least comes back and said, I literally heard on the radio back in Emo, Ontario, about these these two native women that were picking blueberries um, uh, down at uh, Grassy, whatever it was called, Grassy, I can't think of the name. Grassy, yeah, then you had Jeff go down there and check out the prints. Yeah, and, and, and literally we just said, hey, guys, get in the plane and go pack up your stuff and go down there because hey, nothing happened in here. <laughs> yeah like i but, told jeff you know to his credit he said they were bare you know so i was like he could have been like oh maybe they're bare maybe they're bigfoot would have made the show better but he didn't so you know that's respectable no, so no 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 and you know we don't know what they saw they yeah. were very convinced they did not see a bear but the footprint evidence said bear yeah but um, um you know if we are to find bigfoot or whomever any one of these awesome dudes creeping around in the next 10 years or so what do you think will be the thing that made us finally find it? Like, is there new technology that you're like, this is it? Because I said you yep. were a little down on e- eDNA. I know you're kind of a camera guy. So is there something in that regard that you're like, this yeah. is going to help us? I think it'll be a multi, a very many multi-step process. Hmm. I don't, it isn't going to be slapping a camera on a tree. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, for instance, okay, so here's here's something we've built already. Um, we have not placed it yet, but we've built it. We took an A7 Sony camera, which you can see in total darkness, coupled it with a 400 millimeter lens, got the Romex cable to bury um, half a mile of Romex cable to power it, and to get an internet signal away from that. So then we can set up a, a bait station, which we've got activity already. That's very odd activity, meaning we're collecting hairs almost every day that are getting stuck to shipping tape um, that don't match up to anything I can match it up to, Mm -hmm. both scaling, look, morphology. You know, it's got the tapered worn in, no medulla. Mm -hmm. Uh, The coloring is bizarre. It's reddish brown. It's 
The length doesn't match any known animal. But it's unscrewing jars, cleaning the contents out of the jar, and putting the jar lid back on. Mm. Raccoon? We don't know. We haven't Ra- got raccoon any. Raccoon are sneaky, those little dudes, man. They could be raccoons. I saw, we don't a tra- know. I saw a trail cam once that had like a deer feeder, you know, so it's like a couple feet off the ground. And five raccoons stood on top of each other so they could reach up there and get it. I just watched <laughs> a video of two bees unscrewing a lid off a Fanta bottle. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> okay. So there's nature. There's so much about nature we don't know. But so the goal was going to be to put this camera a quarter mile away and film in total darkness. Mm-hmm. So there's no light beams coming out. Nobody can say, oh, there's, there's, uh, they can sense electricity because it's a quarter mile away and it's aimed then at the, the station a quarter mile away, seen in total darkness. It lights it. It makes it look like daytime. Yeah. So once again, you have no idea. There's more steps that we're taking on this trap. This trap is going to cost eight grand. Darn. Just one camera trap. Yeah, but if you Never find Bigfoot, tra- you're going to get, you're going to, you know, you'll get, well, you'll get not- your windfall. <laughs> the point is, we want to know if, if all I see is raccoons teaming up and unscrewing the jar. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, you know. <laughs> That'd be a cute <laughs> video, though. It's still a mystery. What's unscrewing the jars, taking the contents out, and beating the cameras we are using. Yeah. Mm. And putting the jar back. It's cl- it literally looks like it went through a dishwasher. Interesting. Mm. So it is really interesting. And so we're investing $8,000 in this multi-step, very complex process to get the signal out of there. And so that camera is always recording and it never has to be touched. And we're putting the camera in a tree stump a quarter oh, mile away. That's really, I'm sure you get some awesome footage. You know, like I, of course, don't think you're probably going to get a, the Sasquatch, but I'm sure you're going to get some awesome stuff. So, yeah, for all we know, once again, it's some animal that's doing some behavior we've never seen. Yeah, yeah. which that is cool. That would be amazing. Yeah. yeah, but I'm not going to discount the fact that, uh, or it could be humans coming in and doing this as a joke. <laughs> it's in a very desolate area, so I doubt it, but it could be. But whatever it is, we will bust. Yeah, <laughs> and that's. Um, uh, so, so like, it'll be a multi-step. That's that's the bottom line. No. So if ten, if ten years go by with the new like camera technology we have and the increase of you know um, quieter cars going you know going around and more and more video and more and more satellites and drones and that we still don't have like any like you know high tier evidence. Do you think that like you would kind of lose a little bit of faith in it, or you would still like your your personal experience that you have would just like outweigh that, and you you would still be as confident that there's a Sasquatch. Well, well, because I know of all the things that haven't been done Mm -hmm. and because I know things like, um, did you guys know that um, alpha male wolves have never been filmed on a camera trap ever? Do not know that. I I haven't heard that claim before. No. No. Right. And it's a scientific claim with a scientific paper to back it up. Yeah. It's only been the betas that have ever been filmed on any camera trap. And they're even curious, how is that possible? And so there's little tidbits of knowledge and I've got hundreds of little things that just kind of keep pushing you and keep going, well, maybe we really got to go to a far extreme to fool these 
if we can't even fool an alpha male wolf mm. or an alpha female wolf, there's an issue. Animals are a whole lot smarter than we know. For instance, they just put a camera on a wolf. Actually, you know, fixed a camera on mm-hmm. a wolf. Mm. What they saw totally shocked scientists. Hundred percent. Was everything was opposite of what they saw. They see this wolf every day going fishing. A wolf <laughs> fishing and eating nothing but fish. Interesting. Wow. So everybody's going to think. I, I want to oh, find this now. It's going <laughs> to hunt. It's going to hunt beavers. Yeah. It's going to hunt deer. No, it's fishing. Huh. Interesting. And and that's. And that's just one wolf, one time, that's been filmed. It's the other thing I want to do is put a lot of cameras. I've got it all figured out, all laid out what I want to do. I want to put camera systems on coyotes. Once again, in the name of coyote research, what are we going to see? What are they doing? They're amazing animals. You cannot kill coyotes out of an area. Because they'll just make more coyotes that'll yeah. even far exceed the population <laughs> of what was there previous. We have a so decent amount of them in Northern California where I used to go hunting. You'd see them running around. <laughs> what do mountain lions do? Where are they really living? What are they doing? What are their secrets? Um, and I always think that maybe a coyote might be working in either parasitic harmony with Bigfoots or an actual friend friendly um, relationship. There was, there was two things that happened to me personally. Um, one, um, I was up in Canada on a grouse hunt, just hunting grouse, um, with bows and arrows. And that was what I was up there for. And that was all we were doing. Did you get any? And, and, oh God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we ate breakfast, supper, lunch, Delicious. and we ate grouse every day, just using bow and arrow. Um, and we saw a wolf pack one day. So we knew there were wolves in the area. One night, laying in my little uh, camping cot in our tent, I hear a pack of wolves running through our camp. Literally. I mean, it couldn't have been anything else. You hear the panting, you know, the, the mouth breathing. You hear them just galloping right through the, the, the middle of our camp. Obviously in pursuit of something. Yeah. Behind the wolf pack, I'm hearing, and the ground was literally shaking. I'm hearing this bipedal boom, 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 right through the middle of our camp and out the other side in pursuit of the wolves. And I thought, what in the world was that? Now with another guy, he's an expert hunter. He hears it. He's like, man, I mean, do you feel the ground shake? (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) So you not only hear it, you're feeling it. Okay. So that's all you can do with that experience. Is go we need to get like drones, like flying around you every time you go into the woods. Because Big, Bigfoot well, knows about you, man. He he is. Remember, I've been, I've been doing this for thirty five years, and I was yeah. not on a Bigfoot expedition. I wasn't even interested in Bigfoot at that point. I was just on. A, I was just hunting grouse. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're just literally on a grouse trip to do one thing and one thing only: to film a bow and arrow hunt um, with grouse to produce a videotape. On how to hunt grouse with bow yeah. and arrow, right? Okay. So then years later, fast forward to three years ago, I'm on horseback with two other guys on horseback. And we're investigating along the St. Croix River of some Bigfoot sightings, including 
some dogs that have been killed viciously torn in two. Mm. Um, we're riding, we, we, we've already, we're actually riding back again through a trail we'd already been on. We now smell this horrid, stinky, rotten meat, dead body smell. We're all like, Oh my God. You know, and we're, we're covering our mouths and, um, we ride up a little further, maybe another hundred yards. And there's a coyote laying on the middle of the trail that wasn't there an hour earlier. And it's alive, but it's mm. laying down. We're like, well, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Dismount off our horses. We can see clearly see the coyotes alert and alive and afraid because it can see us, but it can't move. It's paralyzed. Yeah. And we can clearly see its spine is broken. You can see what looks like handprints on the spine imprints. And of course I'm filming all this and I'm, you know, I'm getting there, these two cowboys I'm with getting their opinion. And they're like, God, that stink we rode through. And now we're seeing this is because one guy just thought the whole Bigfoot thing is just total BS. And so I'm filming these guys, their reaction, including the skeptic guy mm-hmm. who's literally uses the words BS, you know, over <laughs> and over. Sure. And but he has no explanation for what just happened and the fact the coyote's alive. We decide to put the coyote out of its misery, mm. but it was as if it was tossed there. It was this you could imagine in your mind if you're a storyteller of this thing near a Bigfoot, it's trying to intimidate us away, produces this whatever, this intermediate stink. We smell the stink, it then throws the coyote out on the trail. And it's just, you know, my imagination, right? Yeah. But it does fit the the stories that um, have been told to me and the things that I've experienced. And I've heard these stories of coyotes and Bigfoots through the years. And the other experiences I've had in upstate New York, I've had at the Skookum Meadows and other wild areas where we've done coyote calls and had amazing responses, both in uh, chest beating um and um, a wood knocking by playing a coyote call, electronic coyote call. And there's one call I have that's very effective. And so you just, once again, you're just pursuing a theory or a hypothesis on, you know, is there a relationship there? And of course, I'm the guy that have seen um, the wolves and the ravens working together up, in, up close and personal. I've filmed it, you know, the, um, the ravens doing aerial reconnaissance for the wolves and, and the wolves allowing the ravens, you know, um, to feed on their, on these freshly opened uh, deer carcasses. Yeah. There's a they'll, lot of symbiosis between animals yeah, that you wouldn't back, think. Yeah. They'll literally back off and sit on their hind legs in a circle around the carcass and let the ravens feed. One phenomenon Every, that birds, that birds may do that. I think you'll find fascinating. If you don't know about it, I was on a podcast a while ago um, they found out the firebird phenomenon may be true. They found um, birds picking up burning branches and then like dropping them into grassland to like cause all the bugs and everything to move up. And then they would like feeding frenzy them. Uh-huh. Yep. Which is pretty amazing. You know, that's so, I mean, think about it. You've got a bird starting fires. Yeah. <laughs> and, how many of those things don't we know? My guess is there are millions of little facts like that. Um, Especially under the water, right? Like the ocean, like all the little weird sea dudes. Like, what do they do? Like, what are they doing right now? Yeah. 
Hmm. What's so cool is that it's not only podcasts, but it's all the YouTube videos where we can even see pet behaviors. Mm-hmm. Back when I was a kid, there was no, you couldn't see any pet behaviors yeah. except your neighbor's dog or your dog. But now you can look at these weird, almost human-like, very thought-provoking pet behaviors and animal behaviors we never got to see. Mm-hmm. And so it's at least opened, I think, a lot of our minds as to how smart cows are, how smart chickens are, you know, birds, uh, birds of prey, this, that. Even um, just animal emotions is, has been a new thing. Um, I'm sorry, Trey, I didn't hear you. Oh, sorry. Uh, even like just animal emotions, like where you see yes. like them having sort of semblance of like love and affection and that kind yes. of stuff. Because early on, scientists kind of uh, disregarded those as sort of us yes. see, looking into it too much. But in reality, yeah. it seems like, yeah, no, they do love and feel and stuff. What 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 was your guys' thoughts on that? Uh, those bees opening that bottle were they really opening and trying to open the bottle? Or it's hard, it's just... hard to say. I, I I could say that they weren't or they are. I'm willing to believe either hypothesis. There, you know, it's like you can get phenomenon that looks like it has agency. You know, that we're kind of putting onto it, right? But it's mm-hmm. I think it's definitely possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, bees yeah. like bees. Um, can do lots of um, collaborative behavior other than what you would might suspect. For example, like the murder hornets, if they attack, um, certain bee species will all engage them quickly by putting their bodies over them and like making friction to cause heat and the heat and friction will melt the murder hornet and kill it because they don't have a way physically to do it. So that's like a coordinated attack, you know? Did you ever look at a seed from a maple tree? You know, the ones that, that fly like helicopters. Oh, oh yeah, 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 all the time. Yeah, I live in North yeah, California. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you just throw them but up I, in the air, yeah. When I take a seed like that and I put it in the palm of my hand and I go, how did a tree figure out aerodynamics, this amazing architecture that looks exactly like, you know, the wings of a butterfly? That's um, evolution, baby. It's just, I know, but it's still... Evolution is, if, if it's just plain old, the ones that survived are the ones that, that made it the farthest away from the maple tree. But the fact that even survival can shape objects hmm. and behaviors and things, even a, what you would think would be a dumb tree. Yeah. I think we're going to find in the future, trees aren't dumb. That there's, well, you know, they're finding out there's a whole internet of fungus and they're communicating against hundreds of miles away with a tree. You know, a tree in Arizona is communicating with a tree in California. That, to me, is amazing. Mm. Uh, it's, it's possible there's some biofeedback from that, you know. I don't yeah, know about yeah. thinking, of course, but, I mean, like, they live in an ecosystem. They're, they probably have indicators of some sort. So, Because, yeah. I mean, well, trees, is, trees do indicate know. to each other with certain chemicals, like what, yeah. nope. what, you know, store water, don't store water kind of things. But as, as for... Um, the ability of like evolution to explain these things, you know, like it's not like to quote Darwin, it's, um, you know, there is grandeur in this view of life, you know, with several powers having been originally breathed by the creator into a few forms or into one, you know, like um, these fixed laws from so simple of beginning in this form is most beautiful, most wondrous have and are being evolved. You know, I, I believe I quoted that right. Like it's this idea that like, yeah, it's 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 simplicity coming to complexity. 
And how how did this shape form so perfectly and aerodynamically? It's because like you know, physics were birthed into this world at the Big Bang billions of years ago, and they have slowly been moving out through the universe. And so far, there's this one planet in the left-hand corner of the Milky Way galaxy um, that, you know, replicating molecules have made it so these things can be affected by physics and affected by each other over time. And they get these little forms that just so perfectly work into the way that the universe works and all these little small things affect them so that you get a helicopter blade seed. And I think some people might think that that explanation is less interesting because it's not, you know, cause it's so material, but not I think like an agent or anything in there. Yeah. But I think the fact that you can get these beautiful complex forms without agency is awesome. And that's why I think the discovery of, you know, um, diversification by the means of natural selection is perhaps the best the most beautiful theory we've ever uncovered because we can just know how this awesome stuff happened from such simple beginnings. Yeah. And it's, you know, to me, I look at it and I think maybe the tree is, the trees are in the plants and everything is tapped into one beautiful, you know, data bank of some mm-hmm. sort. Or I think, it's just happened in slow motion, like you're, like you're, like you're talking about, just from survival and evolution. But still, the final product is amazing. Oh, definitely. We we're it's very in, lucky to live where we live. Oh, we live in such an amazing planet. Um, and I think about super abilities and how many super abilities we don't know animals have, and how many super abilities we don't even know maybe humans have. Mm. It may just mean they're very natural. There's, you know. A super ability would be um, uh, discovering a bee can see in UV. And then, oh, gee, I guess caribou can too. Some humans can see ultraviolet light. Yeah. and, and Not very many, but some can. But then I think, then I apply them to, you know, the mysteries and I go, well, maybe Bigfoot has developed, you know, some super abilities that really seem supernatural, but they're not. They're just regular old through evolution. Maybe they can see um, in UV light. Maybe they can. Maybe they. Maybe they have magnetron in their nose or in their lips. Yeah, that's, or, that's one of like the well, old kind of stoner from the sixties. Like, man, there's colors we can't see, but there is a color we can't see. You know, like it. It, it is actually kind of makes you think. You know. Yeah, it does, and I, I just you know that's why my brain works. It never shuts off. <laughs> I don't have any discipline. I'm not a disciplined uh, scientific guy. That's okay I'm though. Just, we, we appreciate your curiosity and uh, it's a good thing. You know, like I, I think that like I kind of very careful to not let my curiosity kind of outstep my rigor. Like, you know, I'm I'm not a scientist myself, but I try very hard to have that mind. But like it, I think it's good to have both things. And I think that yeah. more curiosity mm-hmm. is a virtue. So I guarantee I drove my parents crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know I did. <clears throat> they 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 um they had a name for all my dumb questions. Um they called them Johnny questions because <laughs> awesome. apparently my older brother was the same way. That's funny. <laughs> so, so, oh God, you're going to ask me a hundred Johnny questions. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's, um, but you know, I, uh, I haven't made any crypto shows and God, it's been 2009. Yeah, I, am hoping, I am hoping to go out with a big bang. <laughs> Well, when you find Bigfoot, we'll we'll have a special on this episode for sure. So, yeah, oh, yeah. I don't find Bigfoot, but I'm hoping to just go out with a big bang and a big effort to try. Yeah, I hope so too. 
That's well, awesome. we uh, definitely look forward to all your endeavors, and we're a big fan of the show. And you know, we just started this podcast a while ago, but it's been doing pretty well. I think at part because people just enjoy talking about Monster Quest. You know, we just do it at the end of the episodes, but it, I think it's a core part of this podcast, and uh, the show has been a part of our like kind of exploration and identity for a long time. And so we thank you a lot for the effort you put into it. And thanks again for coming on the show because you know like, you didn't have to. And I know you might not want to talk to skeptics as much as other people, but uh, it was definitely fun to have you on. So we really appreciate it, Doug. No, you guys are awesome. Um, I love the way you approach everything and just keep keep at it. Thank you so much. Oh, you're awesome. <laughs> well, thanks, Doug. Uh, we'd love to talk to you again sometime. So yeah, yeah, do it. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Awesome. On it. All right. And now that we've uh, talked about cryptids and monster quests for a long time, let's change the subject to monster quest. Monster quest. <laughs> I just know that you're going to edit in the, the intro here. So. Let's start. Witnesses around the world report seeing monsters. Are they real or imaginary? Science searches for answers. On Monster Quest. Every it. time, buddy. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so Trey. Yes. What are we questing for this time, my man? All right. This time we're going to the exotic location of Maine <laughs> in in the United States. Where they got uh, lobsters. Where they, have, they have lobsters. Um, I don't know anything about else Maine. And they have lobsters <laughs> and then they have giant, giant mutant canines. Uh, I'm, I'm sure people that are listening to this from Maine, that <laughs> it's wonderful there. And there's many fantastic and diverse things, you know. Don't be mad at us. It's a lot of a lot of uh, dead dogs in Maine, according to Monster Quest. So we decided to skip episode five, uh, Bigfoot, because we talked about what happened in the episode quite a bit. We may come back around to it one day, but we're skipping to episode six. Somebody, mm. we ran a poll, and most people want us to skip it. Um, some people want us to stay in order, but sorry, democracy. Um, so this episode is number six, Mutant Canines, mm-hmm. where we go to Maine and Minnesota to look at dogs. Yeah, this was uh, they. So the crux of the episode is that they believe that there's sightings of weird, like big, large canine like dogs in the countryside and they kill uh, pets and horses and all kinds of things. And they're responsible for the mysterious deaths. And I think Monster Quest goes with the idea that oh, they gave several explanations. They were either wolf-dog hybrids, late-surviving direwolves, or a sort of undiscovered large canine species. Um, yeah, so there were so, several explanations. So we we go to this nice main rural town, and we hear stories, several different stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is from um, Michelle O'Donnell. And her dog, Bucko. Bucko. And, I love all the dog names this episode. <laughs> yeah. So so um, Bucko and her owner were living their lives. And then this dog started barking at something. And she went outside to see it. And she was pretty close to it. I believe she's at five or six feet. Mm-hmm. And she said that it didn't quite look like a dog or a wolf. Mm. I believe her exact quote was wildlike, but not a wolf much larger than any wolf and then it ran away and then a few days later somebody said after she told people the story and told the newspaper the story 
um, which I believe they said was one of their most successful stories ever. Oh, that's, um, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Not much and, going uh, on in this town. <laughs> then they find the body of this creature, and she identifies the body and says, yes, that was the perpetrator. That was the weird little dude that I saw. Yeah. And it's titled uh, The Turner Beast. The Turner or the Beast. Main Mutant. Yeah. I'm definitely a proponent of the Turner Beast name. It's much better. Turner Beast sounds way cooler. There's even like a third name that I looked up and it's just not as cool as Turner Beast. Yeah, we don't yeah. support anyone calling it something else. <laughs> uh, we we would criticize you for doing that. Yeah, so she she saw she saw this the body of this this uh canine like creature that she didn't know what it was she was like this is something mysterious unknown to science so and she took a whole bunch of good really good high quality photos of it um, which is very very smart thing to do and then she kept the body right she like sort of mummified it in her garage awesome it's like a skeleton um which is also a very smart thing to do because it allowed them to test the dna later uh, which this definitely stands out for most um cryptozoology like kind of fact finding missions because she has an actual body. Right. And because she had a body, she actually got good photography of it, unlike every other cryptid. <laughs> it's not like if this was any other cryptid, the body would be like 30 feet away. It would be blurry. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So that's one of the pieces of evidence that they use that there's some sort of unknown species in this uh, in this county. And one thing I would note is that uh, she mentioned that it was a. Uh, much larger than any wolf or dog. Yeah. But when we see the body, it's definitely not much larger than any wolf or dog. No, yeah, that I, I noticed that too, especially when she took the body out of storage and she was holding it and was like, that looks like a puppy. That does That's not that big. <laughs> it's not even an unusually large dog. Yeah. You know, like it, I think this gives kind of credence to my like people just misremember the things they see. Mm. You know, like the site, like um, I'm going to splice into this episode, my little cryptid story, you know, and it's uh it's an example of people, I think, just when they see things that they're not used to seeing, sometimes their brain doesn't, like, scope their size very well. So Yeah. Well, I was going to mention, um, so I, where I live, there's a lot of coyotes. And, like, sometimes mm-hmm. you'll, um, so, like, you either see, hear them at night, like, when I take my telescope outside, you can hear their, like, packs of them, like, like yipping and all kinds of things in the distance. And a couple of times, I've seen them walk in my backyard. And, like, the first time it happened, I was, like, I was like, I was like, this is crazy. What the heck? I was like, I was really blown away by it, even though it's just a coyote. Uh, because like when you see one and so, when you see something that you're not used to seeing in person, you, I, I don't know, for me, at least I like overestimated its size and like was like, well, this is something really crazy and cool. Cause it, it's, it's, it's different than dog. It's like very, it's like a lean, lean animal. It's way like skinnier than a dog, but it's like big. And I think that's sort of what happens here is people who's not sort of used to seeing these sort of things, they overestimate, they exaggerate. And then they yeah, your brain's to trying to draw a pattern for something that you're just seeing. Plus, you probably have a lot of extra hormones in your body at the moment because you're seeing a wild animal, you know? Right. You got that. So just like, yeah. 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 Which I think so, might be what happens here. So our next sighting is we go to the David family. Oh, the David family. Is this the, the elderly couple? Yes. Yeah, a n- nice couple. And, uh, their sighting was they heard some weird breathing once. Fell asleep, I think it was around 11. I heard something and I woke up. And I thought, well, it's just the, the curtain scraping the window. So I kind of just blew it off. And then I heard something again. 
and it really, really scared me. It was like something evil was outside the window. <laughs> That's the story. They're yeah. in bed and they hear like <sighs> out their window. <laughs> That's it. So That's it. That's all they're saying. People heard weird breathing before. Maybe it's dogs that Maybe are it's... monster dogs. Okay, so not, not much to do on that one. Um, but there also was a farmer. Yes. Is this Fifi or, or whatever the dog's yes, name was? Yes, Fifi. Um, Fifi. He did not like the name Fifi because he did not believe it was masculine enough. So he called it Fief. Fief. Um, unfortunately, he was, uh, this is a Jack Russell Terrier, Fifi. Uh, he, he, he was watching for his friend who was ill. Uh, unfortunately, though, one day, uh, Fifi was taken and um, made rest by something. Um, a coyote or wolf, we don't know. Um, but the Monster Quest researchers, you know, think that it might be the uh, Turner Beast creature. Mm. So they investigate that story. Um, this farmer also had a calf that was killed. Yeah. And yeah, and they brought out a expert to examine this story. And they found a deer that was killed in the same area. And there were coyote tracks by the um, the doe. Mm. And he believes that it was killed by a coyote. So. Mm hmm. Yeah, which are they in also, the region. They, they also kind of like play devil's advocate though, but they're like, oh, we don't know if the coyotes just came after the kill and they're just eating the remnants of something else's hunt. Um, which is like, which I, I mean, I suppose out. if you see a dead animal and it has vulture signs, you don't think a vulture killed it. But I mean, you know, like what's more likely a coyote killed it or mutant canine beast attacks killed it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, they play a lot of devil's advocate in this in this uh, episode. Yeah, the the documentary guy also like mentions that um um they they killed the calf, the animal that Fifi was meant to protect. Mm. And I was just like, I don't really think that the little dog Fifi was going to protect any cows from anything. Fifi, we see fi pictures of Fifi, and Fifi's a a little little dude. Uh, you know, <laughs> like cute dog, not... probably great pet. You know, not a great. Like wildlife combatant, I'd yeah. say. <laughs> there were there was another like guy who had his dog killed, right? It was outside yes. his trailer or something. Yes. Um he said when he first saw it, his name is Leo. He's an eyewitness, and he was coming home and he said the first thing when he saw this creature was a werewolf. That's what those were his words. Mm. Well, when he first turned, it looked like a freaking werewolf. That, honest to God, it had the gray hair, the long ears, the, the fangs, the thing, and it had like a, a long, snutty nose. It, uh, the first thing that came to mind was a werewolf movie. And um, then he later found his dog uh, attacked and harmed in some way severely, sad enough, uh, bad enough that he had to put it down, which is, of mm. course, very sad. Um, and then another night when he was coming home, he saw this thing again and tried to like find it and said that like he knew it wasn't any normal animal in the region. Um, and he said the narrator said that it was coming back again to finish what it started, which <laughs> that kind of lines it out to me because I was like, it wants revenge. Like It's like Terminator. <laughs> yeah. So those are our eyewitness. That, that's basically the summation of the... Oh, Evidence Wait, there was the, the one last guy. There was the one last guy, the guy with the amazing accent who was like this sucker. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. I wrote that down. Oh, yeah, yeah, I this was like, sucker, yeah. 
the, the shape of this sucker. This sucker, he's like, it was like a hyena. It wasn't like a, a dog. It was like a hyena. Uh, he reminded me of my uh, my old professor in genetics. He had like a, he's from New Jersey, had a thick accent like that. It was amazing. The, the shape of this sucker. So it's uh, interesting that the hyena hypothesis is alleged here because, you know, that's a good materialist, naturalist, you know, hypothesis, right? It's a known animal. That's, but also, um, a hyena was hypothesized for another cryptid. That mm. was a dog. Yeah, yeah. I was going to talk the, about um, this. The the beast of yeah. Jibble. I was, I, I was. This was a segue, my friend. I was setting you up. Oh crap! Sorry, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Anyways, beast of Jevaldon. It's a very similar story to this. Um, there's a lot of like mysterious dog, mutant, big wolf, werewolf kind of like attacks throughout history, and. I think this is kind of similar to that. It, it, the gist of the story is uh, in the 1700s, I think, uh, in France, there was a lot of uh, wolf attacks. or It was a beast. It was this like single beast that would attack and kill people and livestock. Um, but I think what's sort of been found out now is that it was a whole bunch of unrelated stories that were lumped together as a single one where they took like wolf attacks, they took like wild dog like feral dog attacks they took maybe like i don't know like serial killers who knows and then even like um there was apparently like an escaped hyena in the countryside at that time uh which might have been the cause of some of these eyewitness reports so the gist of it is is a whole bunch of unrelated stories were linked together after the fact to make it sound like it was a single monster which i think is what happened here yeah it was kind of a panic yeah where i think like what happened was is that what happens here is in maine I don't know. There's coyote attacks. There's, I don't know, feral dogs, um, bear, like whatever, all kinds of things, unrelated stories that have just been kind of stitched together to make it look like the Turner beast is this single species that's unknown. Uh, I'm actually yeah. going to be using the beast of Gavon in my new comic series too. So, Oh, nice. That's it's, awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a very cool story, but it, it's a, it, it's, you know, it kind of shows this thing that I keep harping to, which is this, um, you know, cultural hypothesis for these things. He's kind of like people start seeing it, then everybody else starts seeing it. And then like, it just becomes a meme. Right. You know, it That's seems exactly. like we've had this, yeah, we've had this pattern with this kind of like a uh, creature before there mm-hmm. are, of course, and not in cryptozoology, but in folklore, folk tales, there's black dog stories or the black Chuck stories, mm-hmm. which are more kind of like paranormal black dogs that follow people home and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty common um, story trope in England. You know, I, I don't know if it's as common in America, but um, there's actually a really good uh, Monster Talk, which is a fantastic podcast, which is a like a better research version of our show. <laughs> and um, they have a whole episode on that. So if you want to know about the folktale phenomenon of black dogs, uh, you could check out Monster Talk to learn about them, which is a similar phenomenon to this episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really it's a it's a fascinating phenomenon. It's I guess it's just. You'd expect it because pretty much every single human culture has dogs and pet canines and stuff. So yeah. you kind of expect them to have like some kind mythological, of mythological. Yeah, yeah. You kind of expect that you'd ha- they would have mythological creatures of canines and stuff. So yeah. The so, evidence- so this is our setup, and these are yeah. our accounts. Um, now that we know the setup and we know what we're looking for, how do they try to go find this thing? So they use. They use a mix of like, so they kill, no, no, they didn't kill the horse. The horse died of natural causes and they, uh, they got this farm. They found a, got a dead horse and put it in the woods somewhere. 
and put a trail cam on it and was like, we're going to find the the little monster eating the horse carcass. Uh, and uh, yeah. And, and do, should we talk about the results of that? <laughs> they, yeah, they sure. So, so basically that's our main setup, right? We, we get, we get the trail cam mm-hmm. and then we also, of course, get the remains of the Turner beast itself. Yeah. And then we send those off to the lab. Oh, I was going to say like they were they were suspecting that if the Turner beast was like an undiscovered creature or like a wolf hybrid um, with a domesticated dog, they'd be able to see that in the DNA and stuff. Oh, yeah. They were also holding out that it might be a dire wolf. Um, so dire wolves, um, you might know them from Game of Thrones. I'm going to stop talking about Game of Thrones so much, but they, they're or from my that, comic Clovis. Yeah, they're, they're these real, uh, <laughs> a real species of canid canine. That exist that once it, you're not canine. We found that out that they're not actually. I'll get to that. I'm, I'm getting before myself. Yeah, yeah. So uh, dire wolves are a, a real species, a prehistoric species known from fossil remains. They existed uh, probably only until like they they died out like nine thousand years ago, ten thousand more or less. Um, they existed all across the continent of North America. Um, like you'll see it a lot in popular culture. They've been exaggerated in their size a whole bunch. They are probably not that much bigger than gray wolves um, today. So they're generally the same size as wolves. Um, there's been a lot of debate on where they should be placed on the evolutionary tree. Um, sometimes they, they're sort of lumped in as like a really close relative to wolves. But um, since then, there's been since some studies that um, extracted DNA evidence suggests that they are like more distantly related to wolves where like stuff like jackals and wild dogs are closely related to wolves than they are to um, dire wolves. Dire wolves are pr- probably are not actually wolves, um, which is kind of weird. Mm, interesting. Yeah. 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 But Monster Quest claims that this is a late surviving dire wolf. Um, I don't know that that gets Yeah, I possible. believe the hypotheses, the hypotheses are um, hybrid of a wolf mm. and a dog, a hybrid dog, which is a dog. Mm. I don't know what the difference between a hybrid dog and a dog is. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, so it's hyena, dire wolf, crossbreed, or hybrid dog, I believe are the four things you're saying. The, the shape of this sucker. Yeah. And there's been, there's been wild hybrids of dogs and wolves, um, all, like, for thousands of years. We know that, like, the, oh, sure. um, in Mesoamerica, they actually, the people there, um, indigenous people, like, experimented and bred, crossbred uh, coyotes and uh, domesticated dogs um, in, like, sort of experimental breeding facilities uh before like this is before uh christopher columbus and all that so this is it was it's people like native people have been doing this themselves um and of course we have like pre-contact dogs so the native americans had dogs of their own and trey um, has a video on that i have a video on that i I love i love the the topic because we you find out that like there was a large variation of different species and breeds that once existed here um that no longer exists that most of them are extinct um so I guess that could Dogs be another... are extremely important to anthropology, right? It it could very well be the case that we existed out other the, over the other sapiens because of our relationship with dogs. Yeah, dogs are amazing. Like, like if you look at what um, Native Americans use dogs for, because in, in the Americas there weren't too many domesticated animals. I think um, there were there were several domesticated crops, but I think dogs were the only domesticated animal, um, and. They used they used dogs in ways that were that in the old world people used goats and sheep and stuff instead. So like you had wool dogs in the Pacific Northwest, which were like they were literally they use them pretty much as like sheep, where they'd shear them off and use their fur for like clothing and blankets and stuff. 
And then they also used him as like beasts of burden and all that. So yeah, I guess that could be another hypothesis is that this this uh, main Turner beast is like a late surviving pre-contact dog. If they knew that, <laughs> they would 100% have brought they it They would up. have plugged that in, which I think is a cool idea. Like they, yeah. We do know that there are some um, pre-contact dogs that still exist. Most died out probably because of disease. Sure. Um, and were replaced by old world dogs. But like um, there's Carolina dogs, which are wild dogs that live in sort of the woods and forests of Carolina, which still exist. And like they seem like they're the descendants of these pre-contact dogs, which is kind of cool. That so, is kind of cool. Unfortunately, yeah. in this episode, we don't get to that. We don't get um, to that. Yes. <laughs> so our trail cam. Yes. Um, find some deer because it always does. And, oh, yeah. Deer that and then, look at the camera. They're like, oh. yeah, they're like, what's up? They don't care. <laughs> um, and then they find a bald eagle. That was cool. Yeah, that, that was cool. They find a horse that like is traumatized by discovering his his dead oh, yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of sad. Face. He's like, what the hell? Fritz! Fritz, get up for God's sake, get up! They've killed Fritz! They've killed Fritz! Those lousy, stinking yellow fairies! Those horrible, atrocity-filled vermin! Those despicable animal warmongers! They've killed Fritz! Take that! Take that! Take that, you green swine! You black-hearted, short, bull-legged! Max, Max, I'm okay. I'm okay, Max. Just a scratch. Look, I'm all right. Max. Oh. Oh, damn. There you go again, stepping on my lines, raining on my parade, costing me medals. Oh, damn! Ooh. Ooh, Fritz. Fritz, get up, for God's sake. Get up! They've killed Fritz! They've killed Fritz! Those lousy, stinking yellow fairies! Those horrible, atrocity-filled rarities! Take us! Take us! They've killed Fritz! <laughs> so that's too bad. Yeah. So there wasn't much to be seen. Um, eagles are cool. They, they... got a cool picture of an eagle, but... They did set out bait, and apparently something took the bait, but they missed it. Oh yeah, it always it always happens. So yeah, so that's the setup. This is the quest, and then the payoff is what? What did we get out of the trail cam? What did, we nothing. got nothing out of the trail cam. DNA yeah, I mean, we got testing. To see a cool bird. DNA testing though. So um, they sent it to NYU, I believe. And also, I found out later there was other stuff sent to the University of Maine. But uh, we talked to the people at NYU, and what did they say? They said that it was a dog. It was just a, a regular yep. dog. Yeah. And, I and love this makes, part. I might even splice it in, the part where they... Yeah, well, okay, so <laughs> they, talked to, they talked to the veterinarian, right? I don't know why a veterinarian, but they talked to a veterinarian. And he's like, uh, yeah, that's a dog. 100% a dog. <laughs> And then they like they go talk to the wolf expert, uh, Peggy Callahan, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Peggy, what is it?" She's like, "Oh, that's a dog." And then they're like, "Okay, we're gonna go talk to Mister Scientist." Mister Scientist, what is this? He's like, "Well, I, I looked into it, and uh, it's a dog." <laughs> like all kind of back to back to back, and I was like, "Oh, okay, well, kind of all right." That, that's good. That that confirms it. Well, I believe the Turner Beast, based on my examination of a photograph, would, would have to be a dog. It's photographs. Wolf expert Peggy Callahan also has her opinion on what is in the photos. This could easily be a dog. 
I have taken a tissue sample supplied to me from a creature in Maine, extracted the DNA, sequenced it, and from the analysis of that DNA sequence, I can conclude it was a domestic dog. Well, and it's so, weird because they said they she kind of said that it doesn't look like a dog because it's like snout was shorter and it its fur color was different. But like let's at the point that they found the corpse, it was all bloated and decayed, and things can yeah, look really different. Days old and hot. Yeah, things can look very different. Like after a lot of decays happen to them, like there's that picture of um, it looks like ET, like it mm-hmm. like it's like a weird. It looks like Gollum or ET. It's like this naked creature um and it turns out it's just like a sloth that's lost all of its fur and has been dead for a while so you can yeah they even mentioned like they even mentioned um how strange things look with mange you know in this Mm -hmm. episode yeah like because one person because i show a picture of a a um a coyote with mange they're like could this be it they're like no stupid it's mange so like that was good (laughs) you know they like threw that that theory away really quick but yeah things decaying or things with mange look really strange yeah, and are easy to uh, misidentify. So. Mm. I believe you have a video on blob squatches, right? Yeah, yeah, globsters or I like the I like blob squatches better. That sounds great. They're called globsters, <laughs> uh, and globsters. Yeah, it's it, they're typically like ninety percent of the time they're going to be some type of whale, um, whale or basking shark that has been decayed over a long time because people. People don't know, like, so with a lot of, like, um, especially like dolphins and orcas and stuff, they have, like, the melon on their head, which they use for sonar. Most people, that's not in the skeleton. When they rot away, they look like a, like, their head looks more, like, crocodilian and lizard-like. Um, so that's why a lot of people, they see it, and they're like, whoa, that's like a, a mosasaur. That's like a dinosaur right there. And it's like, no, that's just a whale without its melon. Uh, well, did you hear they, about the mermaid skeleton that just washed up on the beach? No, what, there's a mermaid skeleton now. All right, Jamie, bring that up. Um, <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It, oh, um, I, I see. Like it. in Britain, yeah, there's there's a mermaid skeleton that, that washed up on the beach, which is totally a mermaid and not anything else. I'm looking at it right now. The, so apparently, the, they just found it walking on the beach, like you think. So the angle is really weird. We don't get a angle of the head. It's like from the back up. Yeah, well, they took an angle that made it most look like a mermaid. That's dumb. <laughs> That's dumb. I mean, I don't know what animal it is. It's obviously some mammal that turned into a uh, fish at one time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also like, um, have you ever heard of the Montauk monster? Oh, yeah. Um, which is like just a raccoon that looks weird. Uh, yeah, look a lot weird. of these. I, yeah. I like the corpses. The corpses are always fun to work with because like you at least get answers with them most of the time. Um, yeah, because because well, it kind of takes you to an actual real field of science, right? Because people know these bone structures; they can tell these animals by their bones, right? Look at the bones! So it's right. cool that people can do that. Yeah, but most of the time they end up being nothing. So yeah, yeah. it's fun though. <laughs> Just like the Turner Beast turned out to be nothing. Um, oh. There was a woman in Florida who claimed that the dog was hers. Oh, there's a person was- who claimed. That the dog was actually hers, like the individual yeah, she dog. She said it, its name was Woofy, and that was her dog. Oh, although some some people have put uh, have questioned this because the sex of the dog was a male, and her dog Woofy was female. So, oh, weird. So, I I don't know. Maybe that was the mutation. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, but yeah, I found that story, so I just thought I'd throw it in there. 
Yeah, um, that, they, that's cool. They also sent some of the genetic evidence to the University of Maine, and they also said it's Canis. Yeah. So. It wouldn't surprise me. Feral dogs in America are like pretty popular. Like they're pretty, there's a lot of like wild dogs, like domesticated dogs that have escaped or were raised in the wild. And they're actually like a really big problem as an invasive species. Yeah. Um, Cause like they'll form like packs. Like we know this from trail cams is that um, cougars or lynx will like take kills and the, um, the, like a pack of wild dogs will come up and like bully them out of the kill and take it from them. Jeez. Uh, yeah, and uh, there's also like video of them like hunting elk and stuff, like like wild wolves. Um, but yeah, they're a big problem. Don't don't release your dog into the wild. That's bad. That's interesting because like you would think that mo- a domesticated dog. I believe um, Peggy Callahan in this says that you know domesticated dogs like don't hunt; they mm-hmm. would scavenge. But I guess if they um, formed a pack, they might be able to hunt. So yeah, especially if they're in remote remote areas. Um, yeah. I remember meeting some of those, like when I went to Mississippi, there were some, um, they, they probably weren't feral. They were stray. Um, but yeah, there's like packs of stray or feral dogs out in, out in the middle of nowhere. Well, I live in Seattle, so we don't have, um, like feral dogs roaming the streets. Oh no, it's not, it's not that like they roam the streets. You'll no, just that's what I them. believe now. I'm not going to change my mind. <laughs> You'll find them in the country. Um, where I was in Mississippi, there was, it's like a lot of flat farmland. Yeah. And they'll they'll see you like I, we were in like a remote cabin area and they'll see you from across the entire like like ex, like uh, crop yard and they'll run over because they think you have food and stuff. Mm. Um, and yeah, they don't they're not spayed or neutered. So like they just keep on repopulating. So it's an interesting Bob Barker idea. would get pissed off. Yeah, it's an interesting idea because like if humans were to um, like there's a lot of like books on like what would happen after humans go extinct or disappear. And it's cool that like some of our pets would probably live on and evolve to be like wild animals again and like hunt in the Yeah, the they'd have to, right? If they're going to persist. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's probably that a lot of these are coyotes, wolves, feral dogs eating stuff. Yeah, Nothing definitely. Super yeah. It, it's, you know, it's it's dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dogs. Um so the Turner Beast's final resting spot is in a museum, mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, International Cryptozoology Museum, and they have its paw and a jar of formaldehyde there. So mm-hmm. if you want to see an old, weird looking dog paw, you can go visit that. Um, any guess on what the logo of the International Cryptozoology Museum is? Hey, I got a. Sp- is this the place with a uh, Lauren Coleman? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. I know what it is. Yeah, it's a Celia can't. <laughs> it's Stop our boy. bringing up the Celia can't. Get it out of Why here. Why do they love it so much? I don't get it. It don't. It don't do nothing. They think it's like <laughs> such a. Oh, the skeptics. They just hate it. They, it's like we don't care. You found the, a fish. If you want that living fossil thing, use the horseshoe crab. Horseshoe crabs are way sure. cooler. They got blue they, blood. They got blue blood. They've they probably changed less over time than the Celia can't. Like um. I think the only difference is they have like a one of those third eye things on the top of their head now. Um, the ones in the Jurassic didn't have that. I think I'll have to check back on that. Uh, I, don't, I wasn't yeah. around in the Jurassic, but I believe you. We need to stop bringing up the coelacanth. The, the, the shape of this sucker. The creationists yeah, I just love them. <laughs> it's like it's a, so weird. What do they think they're doing? You know, it's, it's the gotcha. Like, look, we weren't looking for that thing. Nobody gave a shit about it. It's under the water. 
in the ocean. <laughs> first of all, almost none of these cryptids are in the ocean for a good reason. Yeah. You know, like, and then they find it and they're like, oh, wow, now we can find anything. It doesn't mean you can find anything, man. <laughs> it means that now every, now science, we question everything. It's like, find coelacanth. Okay. Hell, like we could find a, a brontosaurus in California. Yeah. Good luck, dude. <laughs> oh yeah it's it's silly it's uh it's like megalodon i'm just sick of it i'm sick of hearing (laughs) about the (laughs) silic well that's this episode of monster quest yeah it's kind Uh, of a shorter uh, one Um, where would you rate this one so i i would rate this probably uh i'll say an eight or nine or something okay i was gonna give it like a uh like a six it, I liked it because it had actual stuff in it, and I think it was a really great uh, time capsule for regional accents in America. You get to see all the okay the because because that's what one thing I really like uh, is that like nowadays because of the internet and like social media, like the sort of unique accents that America once had are like are disappearing because everybody's getting sort of uniform yeah uh, accents. And like I don't know, there you'll find like old videos, and there's people in like Carolina that sound like they're British, like in remote sort mm. of towns. Um, and this was kind of fun. I got like like the sucka guy. That that was great. Yeah, I like that guy too. I'll probably <laughs> cut him. In. Um, so yeah, that was this one. Like I said, I I don't know. I think I'm giving it a six. They do have a body, which is pretty mm. cool. But the investigation was just kind of like the most basic thing they could have done on it. Yeah. And the investigation just says, oh, it's a dog. So it was just kind of like, yeah. Yeah, I would have liked some more kind of like science hypothesizing on what it would take for these creatures to live and like how many there would be and what we would expect from the biology and their behavior if they were any of these different hypotheses. Right. So I would have liked a little more of that, but it's still a fun episode. So Yeah, it's always good when they find something actually and there's something to talk about. Like the most boring episodes are like, well, this is going to be a, the Bigfoot ones are the most boring, in my opinion, because they don't have anything. They just they just sort of I'm kind of heard people. it all before anyway, which is why yeah. we skipped the Bigfoot episode. It's just kind of like when there's not something when it's not plausible and there's not really something to talk about. It just kind of becomes you listening to people's s- stories that they had when camping yeah. or something, which are just not that fun. And it's uh, hard to like approach or analyze just a first hand account. You're like, I don't know. You're like, yeah, I wasn't so, there. I can't really. Yeah, I can't really that. tell you. I can't analyze any of this stuff or look at it for my own opinion. I only have your new version of the events. So it doesn't really do anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but it was next, cool. Though. Next time. Yeah, what is we next go to, time? We go. Lions in the backyard. Whoa, whoa. That, that was a jump. What? Lions in yep. the backyard. Simba, Nala, Scar. Asland, everybody <laughs> hanging out. What? Oh, this is the this is the, the black cat, cat thing. Yep. Yeah, this was. But this is weird because I remember the black cat thing was in uh, England. This is says in- yep, also in England. Yep, but these ones are in your backyard. We're talking, oh. to, but we'll we'll get into that more next week. So if you okay. want to watch along with the show, uh, watch episode six of Monster Quest: Lions in the Backyard. Yeah, but that is going to be this show. We had a great interview with Doug. We really like talking to him. Yeah, he was, he was a very great. nice guy. Yeah, and uh, we uh, thank him for making Monster Quest. Yeah, no, he was a huge inspiration, and he was he was a really cool guy to talk about. I I, I thought he was, his opinions, like him admitting certain things, was really cool. And like, yeah, he was for very sure. rational. 
this episode's a little bit more cryptic heavy than normal because we normally have some actual other science or history stuff in the podcast. So next time we'll try to double down on some non-cryptid stuff to mix it up a little bit. Uh, but thank you everybody for listening. It's been really fun making this show. Um, if you can, make sure you go leave a review on iTunes and do that kind of stuff because it really helps us out and helps us grow. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been great making the show. And we're going to be putting the videos up on YouTube of the yep. podcast and little clips pretty soon. Um, Trey edited. the Man is going to be doing that. Yeah, and edited by Miles. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so expect some mediocre uh, slideshow editing skills. Oh, and, that's uh, But, you know, it, it'll be fun. So check that out, everybody, and uh, thanks for listening to the pod. Yeah, thank you. See you guys. Okay, goodbye. All right, that was great right there. Oh, oh. I thought I bored me, but I learned to think like you. Now nothing bores me, that's that nothing is thought through. The, the shape of this sucker.